Tonight contains material of a graphic nature. Viewer indiscretion. <laughs> I mean, discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to episode 30. No, wait, can we scratch the numbers? It makes yeah. us sound old. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to episode of the New Generation Project podcast, <laughs> where we honour the heroes of Hulkamania and analyse the architects of attitude in looking at the dark ages of the WWF, the mid-90s. Today, we pay another visit to the batshit crazy world of WCW <laughs> to watch the mega powers fight eight people in three cages. It's uncensored 1996. My name is Stuart Brooks, and I'm joined today by our very own Alliance to End Hulkamania. It's Z-Gangster, Paul Scrivens, mm. and the final, no, no wait, ultimate solution, Adam Wikes. <laughs> Hello. How are you both doing? Uh, a little worse for wear after watching this pay-per-view. Yeah, I've had a long week, I must be honest, and Uncensored 96 made it even longer. Yeah, good God. I've got to say, I slept really well after watching that last night. I slept terribly. I think, you know, was just sort of tossing and turning yeah. in bed, yeah. To be fair, I was basically sleeping three parts of the show as it was. You probably could have gone to sleep at <laughs> one point in that street fight and just woken up 20 minutes later and not have missed a thing, really. Yeah. I'm genuinely worried about how much I'm actually going to be able to say in this because there's massive sections where I just didn't write any notes because it was so Oh, no, dull. me neither. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed, this was probably the show where I've had the longest gap between typing anything yeah. at mm. all. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, and normally, yeah. if one of us leaves the room, we'd pause it. But I don't think we did on a couple of occasions yesterday because... <laughs> there was no need. It was yeah. just prolonging the agony. Yeah. Well, it's it's quite late at night now as we're recording, but yeah, we've got it, some... It's Jager nearly Meister. 10 o'clock. Yeah. This is the latest we've ever started recording, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're almost certain to run past midnight. Yeah. I might turn into a pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd probably turn more into a chocolate orange. Yes. <laughs> Worst things to turn into. <laughs> Tatonka's retweeting everyone about everything. That's worked out peachy, really, hasn't it? It was kind of an offhand comment I just put in on the sort of exit to Tatonka, and people out there really run with it. <laughs> well done, guys. <laughs> I, I think my favourite part was when he retweeted a conversation about how much he retweets people. Yeah. So I guess he just does it sort of aimlessly. But the, the, what's quite nice is I think a couple of people put in their, like, you know, Tatonka for, like, Hall of Fame yeah. 2015, which I think would be quite nice if, if we could influence the Hall of Fame <laughs> for, <laughs> for this year. Maybe I could induct him. Yeah. Please welcome Tatonka. We liked one of his matches yes. out of about 16 that and, we saw. And here's his mullet top from. <laughs> I've still not done that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, like... I don't actually follow that many people on Twitter, but my Twitter feed is constantly full of... Tatanka retweeting. In honour of Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage facing off against eight men in four cages in tonight's main event, our challenge this week to you, the audience, was to come up with other handicap situations for the Mega Powers to overcome the odds in. The following are our favourite suggestions. Scott Cavaliero, the Mega Powers versus the 2015 Royal Rumble crowd after Daniel Bryan got eliminated. <laughs> They'll probably still win. I mean, I've yeah. not seen that, I'll, I'll level with you, but I, I gather it didn't go down well. 
Matthew Mikhailovich, Hogan and Savage versus early 2000 Triple H and mid 1990 Shawn Michaels. After three months of gruelling war, somehow Daniel Bryan is declared the loser. Russ Morgan, the Mega Powers versus Screech and AC Slater in a winner bangs <laughs> Kelly and Jesse in the Max. In the Max? Is that the name of the place? That's the name of the little hangout place they had, yeah. I've forgotten that. Whilst Casey Kasem, who's that? He's Casey... the voice of Scooby Doo. Okay. That's random. He's a dance off. They all end up doing the sprain. Have you never seen that episode of Saved by the Bell where Casey Kasem hosts the dance off in the Max? No. And I want Scree- to... Screech breaks his ankle and can't enter, but then does some dance with his broken ankle and wins. Wow. Saved by the Bell's the greatest show. It really was. Dave Green. The Dungeon of Doom implodes in its own awfulness and produces the ultimate challenge to Hogan and Macho. The many gimmicks of Ed Leslie. Baron Beefcake, Big Brother Booty, The Booty Man, Brother Brutai, Brute Force, Brutus Beefcake, The Butcher, The Clipmaster, The Disciple, Dizzy Hogan, Ed Balder, Eddie Hogan, The Mariner, The Man With No Name and The Zodiac. Hogan pins them all by simply telling them to lay down, as at the end of the day, they're all Hogan's bitch. <laughs> is that all of his gimmicks? That's ridiculous. Is, is, is that it? just like in 96 as well? <laughs> yeah, that was the first four months of 1996. Is, it, is the booty man the silliest one? The man with no face is pretty silly. Did he have no face? You've seen it. It's in that encyclopedia, the furry-looking man. Oh, That's yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. That is incredibly silly. On, on a slightly different note, I'm just going to put this in there. I was watching... TV the other day just got to some adverts and this effort with the dog on it and it's just kind of you know when they're wet and they kind of shake themselves off have you seen it it's a dog with slightly longer hair and you couldn't really see much of its face and Mrs. Scrivens actually said what is that animal (laughs) she didn't recognise it was a dog excellent Alan Young, after the match at Uncensored, Ric Flair was still fuming and promised that he would be back with a vengeance. After Ric Flair spent a few weeks scouting the world for talent, he returns to Nitro, taunting the Mega Powers into a match at the next pay-per-view in which they agree to, and Lance Armstrong, Diego Maradona and Juventus of 2005 and 2006 storm the ring (laughs) and beats down the faces. That's right, the dirtiest player in the game. Ric Flair has formed the team of the dirtiest sports cheats ever. Dan Davis, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage take on the Dungeon of Doom in a five-a-side football match. (laughs) (laughs) There is tension between Randy and Hulk as Hogan tells Randy to go in goal, but Savage refuses as he knows he is the better striker than Hogan. Not surprisingly, the Mega Powers overcome the odds and defeat the Dungeon 7-0, causing Sullivan to have a breakdown. He drives to Dundee in his bare feet while scorching on a Toblerone. (laughs) (laughs) I've got the white ones left because I don't like them. I'd watch a series called I'm Kevin Sullivan. Yes. Putting that out there. Where he lives in a travel tavern. Yeah, and has a PA that's the Zodiac. Who's 50. (laughs) Keith Dooley says, The Mega Powers versus Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Brand. I mentioned Springsteen. You've got to read it. (laughs) Well done, Keith Dooley. You've taken me at my literal word. (laughs) And inputted no creativity whatsoever. (laughs) Malcolm Cowan, Hogan and Savage versus their receding hairlines. <laughs> no winners, just a match filled with bold spots. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. It, it it's, it's a pun. That's good. Mm. Brandon Sears. Are you still doing your sexy voice from earlier? Brandon Sears. <laughs> Hogan and Savage take on the unlikely trio of New Jack, Brother Love and Dude Love. I have no real desire to see the match. Oh, I like desire. I just want to see Hogan. 
I just want to see Hogan cut a promo on three guys with the names Dude, Jack, and Brother, the Who's on first of wrestling promos. <laughs> Do you remember Late Night Love? That was disturbing. With Graham Torrington. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I'm going to start some sort of online petition for Late Night Love with Paul Scrippins. Featuring it, Paul's Deep Bath. Yeah. Late Paul's Night Scrippins. Deep Bath. <laughs> Is that going to be a thing now that you do? Yes. Okay. Luke Robert Vale. The Mega Powers remember their uncensored 96 classic facing eight menacing foes, but nothing can quite quake in fear as the time they took Miss Elizabeth and Linda Hogan to the next Boxing Day sale. Them taking on 200 plus tired and hungover customers who wait in hope to find a pound off a floral dress they once <laughs> saw in the window display. Hulk then power slams a security guard to get thrown out to win their freedom. Hmm. Yeah. Nice, I nice. like that. Yeah, that that yeah. sort of sums up the spirit of what I wanted the challenge to be. Well done, Luke Robert Bale. Mm. Jeremiah Allen, Darth Vader and the Emperor. Interesting. See why I gave that one to you? Yeah. Having entered our galaxy on a whim, challenge Earth's mightiest warriors to an intergalactic battle for the control of the solar system. Naturally, the mega powers, it's all in capitals, except, <laughs> and brother, it's on. Right as the bell sounds, Hogan utilises the extra long... Yapapai Indian strap. Oh, that's what he's banging on what about, about in that yeah. promo, yeah. Yapapai Indian strap to lasso the Death Star down to Earth, where Savage stuffs a handful of Slim Jims into its exhaust port. <laughs> <laughs> the Hookster flings it back into space with a loud, I'm the only star around here, Jack, where it explodes into many pieces, much like Hogan's back. <laughs> <laughs> and with a leg drop here and an elbow drop there, Team Red and Yellow emerges victorious. Their celebration is cut short, however, when Hogan's son crashes the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> killing Chewbacca and Savage, allegedly sleeps with an underage Princess Leia. <laughs> something, something, Snooker Partridge Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> the the nice. end is the best. He's covered all the bases there, but I like how he chose Snooker for you, Adam. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thanks very much. Yeah. Michael Hughes. The Megapowers versus their evil Soviet doppelgangers socialist powers Boris Hogan and Vladimir Savage in an iron curtain match which consists of a literal iron curtain surrounding the ring Vince McMahon commentating in a Stars and Stripes 10 gallon hat with Vladimir Lenin as colour commentary for a bonus watching on in the Patriots corner is Lex Luger with his bus the Lex Express versus his evil doppelgang Alexi Luger <laughs> with his tank the Sickle Express in the other <laughs> Great set of suggestions, as per usual, folks. And you kept within the confines mostly of quite shorter ones as well, so we're able to read a few yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, big fan of Star Wars input into these things as well. Yeah, Adam's not making any kind of commitment that says any Star Wars reference you Ooh, put in. good God, no, because I'm sure there must be billions out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You know. Anyway, let's move on. So, despite the fact that we last visited WCW at the beginning of January 1996, because Nitro is such a packed show, we have a ton to discuss that I want to go through before we get to the actual pay-per-view. Firstly, we're going to talk about all the twists and turns leading to tonight's main event, and then we'll discuss the man now known as the loose cannon, Brian Pillman, OK? Fair enough. In the opening bout of the January 22nd Nitro, Randy Savage pinned Ric Flair to win back the WCW world title. Savage was accompanied by a number of women, including an unnamed Linda Hogan and woman, a.k.a. Nancy Sullivan. Ugh. Flair would attempt to dance with woman, but received a slap round the face for his efforts. 
Oh. At Clash of the Champions 32 on January the 23rd, Ric Flair and the Giant defeated Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage, accompanied by Elizabeth, when Flair pinned Savage after Jimmy Hart threw something in the ring, which Flair used to strike Savage. On the January 29th Nitro, Ric Flair actually pinned Hulk Hogan. Fucking hell. Holy clean. shit. Clean. What, what happened? Of course he stole one of Elizabeth's high-heeled shoes oh. and hit Hogan oh, right. in the eye with it, but it, it still counts. Despite being blinded, Hogan would return in the main event segment, saving the Macho Man from a two-on-one attack by Ric Flair and the Giant, disposing of the entire Dungeon of Doom, Giant included, with a chair. In the opening bout of the February 5th Nitro, Randy Savage defended his newly won WCW world title against Chris Benoit. Savage would win the bout via disqualification when Ric Flair appeared, and when Savage tried to confront him, Flair hid behind Elizabeth, and Woman attacked the Macho Man from behind. Bloody women. <laughs> Flair and Arn Anderson then attacked Savage until Hogan ran them off with a chair. Mean Gene then tried to interview Hogan, but while the Hawkster was distracted, Flair reappeared and drilled Hogan in his bad eye. The Giant and the Zodiac then strolled down to ringside. The Giant hit Hogan with a chair, but Zodiac tried to hold him back. Savage then ran back out and ran off the heels. Savage then questioned Elizabeth as to why she didn't warn Hogan about the blindside attack. I wonder why. Why? These segments are crazy. (laughs) In an effort to top the WWF for daring to hold a cage match as part of their In Your House 6 main event, at Super Brawl on February the 11th, WCW decided to make both of their main events cage matches. Firstly, Ric Flair regained the WCW world title from Randy Savage when Elizabeth gave Flair her shoe, and he clocked the macho man with that. Lots of shoe stuff going on. And lots of women turning on Randy Savage. Yeah, and they're, they're not really painting women in a good light, are they? They're, they're quite duplicitous women. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed from mm. wrestling. Well, yeah, they're, they're all pretty evil. And it's also such a stereotype. Shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I've never seen Elizabeth look as genuinely happy in a wrestling angle as when she turned on Randy Savage. <laughs> and yes, I'm including their on-screen wedding at SummerSlam 1991. She legitimately looked happier here. In the actual main event, Hulk Hogan closed off his feud with the Giant, winning their cage match. This one ended with Hogan escaping over the top of the cage before the Hulkster disposed of, are you ready? The Giant, Kevin Sullivan, Meng, the Barbarian, Hugh Morris, the Zodiac, the One Man Gang and the Shark, single-handedly with a chair. The One Man Mm. Gang? Yeah, he's part of the Dungeon of Doom as well. Okay. But that's like eight people with one chair. Oh, one really, person. I really do not like Hulk Hogan at this time in his career. The pay-per-view ended with Loch Ness, a.k.a. Giant Haystacks, coming out to confront Hogan, but being held back by the Dungeon of Doom. In the main event of the February the 12th Nitro, Arn Anderson pinned Hulk Hogan. What? Yes. Clean. Arn Anderson pinned Hulk Hogan. Of course, once again, it took woman throwing powder in Hogan's face and a woman's high-heeled shoe to Hogan's already injured What's eye with to the get shoes? the job done. But such is life. Oh, and of course Hogan popped up post-match and gave both Flair and Arn Anderson big boots before they scuttled off. Mm. One, one of the things, if this is such a problem in WCW at the time, why not get the women's to wear flats? <laughs> or flip-flops. Just, just ban women from yeah. wearing shoes. Yeah. This result was quite interesting politically, as apparently Ric Flair was moaning backstage around the time that Hogan never lost to anyone. So when Sullivan pitched this outcome to Hogan, Hogan agreed to do it instantly, as it served him in two capacities. Firstly, it showed the locker room that Hogan was willing to lose, and secondly, where it pissed Flair off. (laughs) The following week's 19th of February Nitro opened with a rematch between Hogan and Anderson, with Arn Anderson winning again. 
this time via disqualification. Uh. The main event of the show was a world title rematch between Ric Flair and Randy Savage. The match went to a bizarre non-finish when the usual suspects, Hogan, Anderson and Sullivan, all ran out. Finally, a familiar-looking face ran out, but the announcers sold confusion as to who he was, though he appeared to be on Hogan and Savage's side, chasing off Kevin Sullivan. Hogan later named the mystery man as the Booty Man, a.k.a. the Zodiac, a.k.a. a million other bloody names. Hogan hyping the Booty Man was fucking terrible. Why is he called the Booty Man? What else are you going to call him? He can't be the barber. Is he just used, get sued. Has he used up all other available names and this was the only one left to him? Well, apparently he was Hogan's spy in the Dungeon of Doom, so, yeah, that had been going on for a while. Is that how Hogan consistently managed to defeat the dungeon because he had a spy in there. I guess so. Mm. It all makes perfect sense now. (laughs) They also set up the main event for the February 26th Nitro, a six-man tag team match pitting Ric Flair, Arn Anderson and Kevin Sullivan against Hogan, Macho and Booty. During this match, the former Diamond Doll, a.k.a. Kimberly, appeared in the aisleway carrying a bunch of flowers. Hogan's team won when he big-booted all three of the heel squad. Post-match, Hogan had to pretend he was dazed for ages as Elizabeth couldn't handcuff him to the corner post. Flair then gave Hogan a whipping with a belt before Macho Man made the save. Upping the stakes on the March the 11th Nitro, the six men faced off again, this time in a double-strap lumberjack match. Hang on, what? Yes, I said double, as for some reason there was only two straps in this match rather than the logical three. Yeah, so I was going to say what's... (laughs) Yeah, no, it wasn't a treble lumberjack cage match, strap match of doom. So, how did that work? Well, it didn't really. They didn't really get attached to each other at any point. They were just there. Once again, Kimberly appeared with a bunch of flowers in the aisle, as Bischoff speculated that she had a thing for the booty man. As ever, Hogan and company won when Hogan pinned world champion Ric Flair. After the bout, an angry Kevin Sullivan cut a promo, talking about how uncensored Hogan would have to go through four cages, the first containing Arn Anderson, the second containing himself and their reluctant partner Lex Luger, the third would have Ric Flair in it, and the fourth, well, he didn't mention it would be in there. (laughs) Ric Flair then sang, I've got the whole world in my hands, predating Bray Wyatt by a good 18 years. Ah. I I reckon I used to sing that at primary school quite a lot. You predated Bray Wyatt as well? Yeah. Well, Well, I also predated that. I'm young enough. (laughs) On the March 18th Nitro, Hogan revealed that he hadn't signed the contract for the Doomsday Cage match as Hulk Hogan. He'd signed it as the Mega Powers, so Macho would have to be in the match now too. How that holds up legally, I have no idea. Adam's pulling a face. I don't think anything makes sense in this promotion. Of note, during this segment, Hogan was booed louder than anything I've heard up until this point. Including the recent rumble? No, not that. In the main event of the show, Hogan and Savage took on Flair and Sullivan in a Tornado tag team match, with the bout ending in a double countout. Post-match, Jimmy Hart wandered out with two massive, massive guys, one of which the Hawkster was very familiar with. Hogan, Savage and the Booty Man backed off, leaving Flair, Sullivan and company in the ring. Sullivan dubbed the former's use as Z-Gangster and the other massive, massive man as the final solution, though his name would later be changed. Adam, why don't you tell us why that name was changed? Because it's deeply insensitive, the final solution being the Nazis' plan to eradicate, well, not only the Jews, but, you know, all of the ethnic minorities, disabled people and homosexuals out of Europe. And strangely enough, some people complained that it was slightly insensitive. 
I can see why. Yeah. What a wankerish idea. So basically, the Doomsday Cage match was originally scheduled to be Hogan versus Four Heels. Using his creative control card, the Hulkster, allegedly with influence from Savage, changed the card to incorporate Savage and four other heels. Savage was originally scheduled for a Falls Count Anywhere match against Chris Benoit on the show, but that was scratched with Benoit on tour with New Japan Pro Wrestling, although apparently he could have been back in the US in time for this show. Mm. That probably would have actually been pretty good. Yeah, that could have helped this show. A quagmire may order me a company. That's right, it's me, Brian Pillman. They don't want you to know the truth, but I will give you the truth. And shh, you might find out something you're not supposed to. Secondly, in late 1995, Brian Pillman decided to convince everyone in the wrestling world, fans, wrestlers and backstage staff alike, that he had lost his mind. Fair enough. Pillman, previously a standout light heavyweight wrestler, began evolving his character in late 1995 after turning heel and joining forces with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson as part of the Four Horsemen, earning the moniker The Loose Cannon. We saw some of the early stages of this on our Raw vs. Nitro 2 episode, but the character really came to fruition during a feud with WCW booker Kevin Sullivan. On the 15th of January Nitro, the Dungeon of Doom's Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris were scheduled to face Horseman, Anderson and Pillman. Instead, both factions walked to the ring with Gene Oakland. Anderson said he and Sullivan had had a meeting of the minds. He said there was no benefit to a war between the factions and that neither would win, only survive. Sullivan said that he respected Arn Anderson, but his problem was with Brian Pillman, who he claimed wasn't horseman material. Pillman shouted at Sullivan, so Anderson slapped him hard round the face and said he had told Pillman to keep his mouth shut. Incidentally, during this segment, Chris Benoit was cosplaying as a member of Right to Censor. Look it up. Oh, okay. At Clash of the Champions 23 on January the 23rd, Brian Pillman faced Eddie Guerrero. Early on in the bout, Pillman left the ring and grabbed announcer Bobby Heenan's jacket round the neck, with Heenan reacting live on air with an instinctual, what the fuck are you doing? Heenan then left the announce table before returning and apologising for his outburst. On the January 29th Nitro, Gene Oakland interviewed Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris, with Sullivan saying that Arn Anderson had broken his promise to keep Brian Pillman in line. Anderson and Pillman appeared, with Anderson saying that Horseman dealt with their issues internally, and when it looked like Anderson was going to potentially spank Pillman with his belt, Sullivan and Morris attacked, with Sullivan using Anderson's belt to whip Pillman. On the following week's Nitro, Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson defeated Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris via DQ, when Sullivan attacked Pillman with a leather strap. At Super Brawl on February the 11th, Brian Pillman faced off with the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan in an I Quit strap match. The match went under a minute when Pillman grabbed a microphone and told Sullivan, I respect you, Booker Man. Pillman then strolled away from the ring. A bemused and not ready to wrestle Arn Anderson strolled out and he and Sullivan proceeded to contest the match until Ric Flair appeared and persuaded both men not to fight. The story goes that only Bischoff, Sullivan and Pillman were clued up as to what would happen here, though Sullivan says that he thought the Pillman match would go about five minutes before the finish, but Pillman took it upon himself to do the finish earlier than planned. Hmm. Pillman, who had developed a backstage reputation at this point for erratic, bizarre behaviour, turning up late for shows and arguing with various people, was then seen in front of a number of wrestlers bickering with Eric Bischoff, swearing at his boss and quipping something along the lines of, sorry about your 12-minute strap match before leaving the building. Hmm. Pillman then told people that he expected to be fired shortly after this as if you had a problem with the booker then you wouldn't have a job for long 
Some wrestlers began questioning the legitimacy of this all early on, but in a recap of the events from Super Brawl on the February the 12th Nitro, Eric Bischoff showed highlights of the strap match and referred to Brian Pillman as, he's history, he's gone, with the word being that Bischoff had legitimately fired Pillman. In addition to this, any previously taped Pillman matches for syndicated shows like Pro and Worldwide were replaced with new bouts. Bischoff has later gone on to say that he's now not sure whether he and Pillman were working everybody together or if Pillman was working him. That's pretty groundbreaking stuff. It's all quite mm. complicated. Mm. It's quite cool, though, isn't it? It's really interesting, Tay, because I don't really know anything of the background to this. A further attempt to convince everyone in wrestling that this whole thing was legitimate was made when Brian Pillman made a surprise appearance for ECW on February 17th at Cyberslam 96. Hmm. Utilising the old Paul Heyman trick of turning the lights off during a segment and having someone you didn't expect there when they came back on, Pillman was interviewed by Joey Styles. In an effort to remain anonymous prior to his appearance, Pillman had entered the building wearing a Laparka mask and pretended to only be able to speak Japanese, obviously, wearing a Mexican mask. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. In an incredible interview, Pillman called Bischoff a jerk-off, Paul Heyman a piece of fucking shit, while the fans chanted, Bischoff takes it up the ass to the tune of Camp Town Races. (laughs) Pillman then healed on the fans, calling them all smart marks and threatening to whip his Johnson out and piss all over the ring. As the fans chanted, let him piss, ECW owner Todd Gordon, Booker Paul Heyman and former Dean Shane Douglas appeared, with the former (laughs) telling Pillman that this wasn't part of the deal. Security then attempted to remove Pillman from the building, but Pillman managed to get free and confronted a fan with a massive ginger mullet that heckled him, pulling him over the railing and rolling him into the ring, before seemingly stabbing the fan as Shane Douglas ran back out to chase him off. Douglas set up camp in the ring and demanded that either Pillman come to the ring to fight him or that Pillman be thrown out of the building. The loose cannon made one more attempt to get into the ring before security ejected him from the arena. Pillman would make a handful of live ECW appearances but would be most prevalent on the ECW Hardcore TV show, featuring in bizarre skits such as wrestling a giant pencil, a slang term for booker, sitting naked on a sofa stabbing himself with a fork in a restaurant and cooking a meal for ECW fan of the week, WCW attorney Gary Juster. What? Yeah, this is all very (laughs) odd. What did you make to the Pillman debut segment? Because I showed you both this the other night. It was cool. It was really cool. It was interesting. I I struggled to follow it. Not knowing a lot of the background to it, it it came a bit out of nowhere to to me. It was interesting. I was also trying to take in the crowd and trying to digest that at the same time as what he was saying. Right. So, And, and that actually made it quite difficult, and I should have perhaps just focused on Brian. But in, t- in terms of his content and his delivery, how far removed is that from anything we see on the WWF pay-per-views we've watched yeah, yeah. and the WCW pay-per-views we've watched? genuinely insane. Yeah, yeah. Like, really, really convincingly insane. And you can argue whether it needs the language or not, because I think the intensity's there yeah, without yeah. the language, but... It certainly doesn't sound like kind of any wrestling well, promo it, you've heard prior well, to that. Yeah. It adds it adds that authenticity. Yeah. I would say I'm not a fan of vulgar language personally, but if you're gonna, <laughs> well, if you if you're gonna do something like that, you might as well go the whole hog. Yeah, and he goes the whole hog. Yeah. On the 11th of March, Nitro, during the opening match between Jim Duggan and the Giant, the camera seemed determined to not pick out a sign in the crowd that said something along the line of "Call Brian one nine hundred two eight eight pill." 
It's kept out of focus long enough to make you genuinely think it's something they don't want shown until announcer Eric Bischoff acknowledges that there's something going on at ringside. Eventually, Eric works out it's Brian Pillman and leaves the announce booth. The crowd and the announcers were way more interested in what was going on in the audience than the ring, which seemed to be Pillman being escorted out by security. Bischoff would rejoin the booth and no further mention was made of the incident. I'll give WCW credit here because this I thought was actually top notch and it was entirely believable that this wasn't part of the show yeah. mm. because they didn't show it for long enough to make you think yeah. like I was watching it. I just sort of saw what was going on out the corner of my eye and I'm sort of wishing the camera would turn off in that angle. So it's a very good replication of what would actually happen. If, if somebody started yeah, doing yeah. something but like that. Is that a little bit similar to was that, was that? Was it a Randy Savage match where there was a fan in the ring briefly? Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like you just saw that flash of it gets you really intrigued and then there was kind of no real follow-up to it. Yeah. Interesting. After hearing the crowd reaction to Brian Pillman during this segment, Hulk Hogan demanded that Pillman be brought back immediately and incorporated into (laughs) his programme. Where he could destroy him, presumably. Pillman then appeared in the main event segment of the March 18th Nitro, attacking firstly Hogan and Savage, but then latterly Kevin Sullivan after the Tornado tag team match. This was contrary to the plan to leave Pillman off the shows for anywhere up to six months to make the entire thing feel real and made no sense whatsoever as it would require Pillman to be on the same team with Kevin Sullivan, who he was feuding with when he left originally. It also exposed the original angle to the locker room who had been led to believe Pillman was really insane and really gone, but was now back as part of a normal wrestling storyline. Around this time, Pillman received throat surgery and wasn't cleared to compete on the show, but with WCW being WCW, they still spent the week before the pay-per-view promoting the fact that Pillman was going to be part of the heel squad, despite the fact that they blatantly knew he wouldn't be competing. Hmm. On the Nitro following the pay-per-view, Bischoff would attempt to explain Pillman not being there as being due to him refusing to be part of a team with Kevin Sullivan. What you should take from all of this is that as of the date of Uncensored 96, despite what anyone is saying, Brian Pillman is very much still employed by WCW. Mm. Uh. In matches shown on WCW main event before this pay-per-view started, Mr. JL defeated Dean Malenko in a Cruiserweight tournament opening round match. Jim Duggan pinned Big Bubba Rogers. Dick Slater beat Alex Wright and the Steiner brothers fought the Nasty Boys to a no contest. It's Sunday, March the 24th, 1996, and we are live from the Tupelo Coliseum in front of a crowd of 9,000, including 1,700 comps, for a live gate of $104,000. The show drew a 0.7 buy rate for a company gross of $2.1 million. Quick funny story, Ric Flair, Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan got lost on their way from Memphis Airport to this show, explaining why Oakland turned up halfway through the main event pre-show and why Bobby Heenan isn't in a suit. Ah, Tuesday will be your last day, Hogan. You want a last meal? You better hurry up and order. Order, order, order. We cannot coexist in this planet, Hogan. It's Tuesday. We are the Alliance to Eliminate Hulkamania. against the wall that makes me very dangerous and very angry and hogan it's gonna be survival of the fittest <laughs> opening video package shows us lots of people that hate hulk hogan flair sullivan zeus luger 
Jimmy Hart laughs like a maniac clown while techno music plays. This was all over the place. I'd describe it as very, very 90s. Yeah. It's kind of like a, you know, a going live segment. <laughs> we expected Philip Schofield and Sarah Green. Yeah. It, it was just one of these things where it's so different to what WWF are doing at the time. Yeah. Because this was very, very quick. No time to digest anything, really. And the WWF promos, particularly of late, have been quite solid, very Focused. slow. and Yeah, but they're very slow and deliberate and really kind of just slowly build up that tension where this is just fast, fast, fast. You're buzzing, but you don't know why. Right. I'd say that WWF are settling into a groove of cinematic styling. Yeah. And WCW seem to be doing MTV. Right. That's the kind of distinction that I'd put in it. Okay. Our hosts are Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes. Tons of pyro goes off, obviously. WCW. (laughs) It looks like somebody has left a load of scaffolding by the entrance, like they haven't finished building the pay-per-view set. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Heenan is prepared for anything by wearing leather, apparently. They discuss the main event and nothing else. Yeah. Fair enough. And their triple-decker cage of doom, which kind of sounds cool, actually. It does sound cool. And and, and at this point, I'm thinking, hello, Halloween Havoc. It's a little bit like that, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what I was thinking? I mean... I didn't really see the card for this, but kind of when I reflect back and you look at the card, I'm thinking, quite looking forward to this. Wait for it. And we've we've had, let's be honest, some very good WCW experiences while we've done this. Yeah, we quite enjoyed Bash at the Beach. The times that we've like dipped into the waters of WCW, it's been good fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I've actually got good hopes for this one. What did you make to Dusty Rhodes' commentary? Oh... I'm going to be honest, I quite liked it because it brightened things up a bit. <laughs> he tends to ramble in some sort of crossed language with English and something else. English and Texan. It's it's bizarre and he's got his own words and dialect for things and the interaction between him saying... Because he doesn't stop talking either, does he? No, He doesn't no. hold back, he's just, he's just drawling all the time. And Heenan... Rips the piss just, out Just of ripping him. on him all yeah. the time for what he's saying. At least added some sort of element of humour to a, some very dull moments. Well, I would liken it to, or what you need to do is imagine Benny Hill music playing in the background whenever he's speaking. Because <laughs> it's, it's like he's on fast forward, but nothing else is. Right. <laughs> I couldn't, you'd get the odd word. It's like if I went to Italy. I reckon I'd understand about, you know, every tenth word perhaps there'd be some commonality or that I'd be able to pick up, but... Is it sort of a combination of he's relatively old, he's, he's got a speech impediment, He's got a thick accent. He's had lots of head trauma. Possibly. And, and that's what you kind of end up with on commentary. Yeah, I, 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 I appreciate that as a formula. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Our opening bout is Conan versus Eddie Guerrero for the US title. I've got to say, start off with that statement, high hopes. Conan, believe it or not, has been dubbed the Mexican Hulk Hogan due to his huge drawing power in Mexico. Are we talking massive here? We're talking massive, yes. Competing under the name Conan El Barbaro, can you work out the translation there? Conan the Barbarian. Correct. Conan was a huge star in the early 90s for EMLL and later AAA, first as a babyface and then later as a heel, as part of the stable Los Gringos Locos, alongside Eddie Guerrero, Art Barr, and your pal, Luis Spicoli. Ah, Rod Radford. He also had a short stint in the WWF in late 1992 as Max Moon. Conan, however, was apparently unhappy playing the character. Hang on a minute. 
abruptly left the company after three matches, leaving the character to be played by former Orient Express member Paul Diamond. So when I've seen Max Moon, is that... That's Paul Diamond. You've seen the Paul Diamond version, not the Conan version. I never knew that Conan was Max Moon originally. One thing I'll recommend is that you look up the original schematics for Max Moon, which you can see online. It was supposed to be like a giant robot suit. How would he wrestle in that? Well, you'd take it off, but for the entrance, it was supposed to be this (laughs) spectacular giant bastard robot suit sounds good conan also appeared on wcw pay-per-view way back in 1990 as part of a tag team tournament but his first prominent role in the u.s would come with a short stint in ecw at the back end of 1995 and very early part of 1996 by this point conan was also working as a booker in mexico and was responsible for bringing the likes of Rey mysterio jr juventud guerrera and psychosis over to ecw and then later wcw Conan re-debuted for WCW during the opening segment of the January 22nd Nitro, saying he would defend his Mexican heavyweight title against Psychosis at Clash of the Champions the next night, about he would win. If anyone knows what actual belt Conan is wearing at the time, let us know, as I can't find a record of him holding any particular belt on the date he first appears on Nitro. So there's different titles he holds around that time, but not on that particular date. Maybe it's just a regular belt. He just just made a belt, yeah. yeah. He would quickly win gold in WCW, defeating United States heavyweight champion, the One Man Gang, on the main event aired on February the 4th. The two would contest a rematch at Super Brawl on February the 11th, where Conan successfully defended the strap in an utterly terrible match. Like, just abysmal, just two people who do not work well together. I'm guessing from where Conan's come from, he doesn't fight many people like Like the One Man Man Gang. Gang. Yeah. He also cut an abysmal promo, having taken lessons in not looking at the camera during an interview from Lex Luger, circa World War Three. <laughs> no build was made for this match, as Eddie has been doing very little on television, bar having good matches every time he appeared. Mm. So he's got no real storyline, but when he turns up, he generally has a decent, decent bow. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how they're trying to build Conan as just this defending champion, and he just has these good matches, except some of them aren't good. It's an interesting plan. Eddie Guerrero is out first to mostly silence. Conan follows. His theme is pretty cool, but what the fuck is he wearing? It's like what an Ultimate Warrior skirt might look like. It's kind of tassily. Power Rangery, slightly. Yeah. yeah. I, was I would, I see would that. say Guerrero looks more Power Rangery. Well, like, I mean, obviously. Guerrero looks a bit like one of the kids' kind of early outfits, but white and red. Conan takes off his ridiculous garb. But he keeps he? his skirt on. But he keeps his skirt thing on. Yeah. yeah. He also has a do-rag on underneath his weird entrance mask thing, which appears to be like a sort of more flamboyant version of Vader's. Tony tells us this is the only title match on the show, so, you know, great. We get some technical stuff to open, with Conan taking Eddie to the mat, keeping him down with an armbar. Eddie gets back to his feet and springs to the top rope, pulling Conan down with an arm drag from the ropes. With Conan down, Eddie works on his legs, headstanding and kicking Conan's upper body down before applying a figure four. There's some nice stuff early on, and I can't remember what move it was in particular, but I've, I've noted down, there's, a, there's an awesome move, and literally two people clap. Yeah. And I think most of this event is marred by the crowd not caring. I, I've noted down that Conan's very hairy. Yes, apart from his head. <laughs> yes, he's got no hair on his head, but a very hairy chest and a bit of a hairy back. One of those guys. Also, I, I swear that I saw he's got a bit of a spotty back as well. You think? A little bit. Conan escapes from the figure four and Eddie applauds him. They do some pretty cool pinfall rolls, totalling three times two counts. Six. Conan works on Eddie's leg, (laughs) twisting his ankle and sitting down in a Boston crab, but Eddie makes the ropes. And yeah, the crowd are pretty silent for this early Mm. on, which this is exactly 
certainly early on the kind of match you want as an opener because there's some nice cool moves and flippy stuff and yeah i mean the, there's some really nice sequences in it and it's and it's quick paced in it's, places it's, but the, you have quick paced stuff and then it kind well, of breaks for a little bit that's it you have there's lots of stall in this because you get these nice little sequences of alarm drag here a little submission hold there but then there's this kind of pacing around for like 10, 20, 30 seconds and nothing happens. And that just takes any momentum, momentum out, yeah. of the, out of the match. And it's really altogether quite dull. My kind of reasoning for that, I would think, is Conan's a step behind Eddie. Mm. Like if this was Eddie and Benoit or Eddie and Ray, right, yeah. this wouldn't happen. But Conan is just not a million miles behind. He's not the one-man gang, yeah. but... He's not on Eddie's level of pace. But from what you said, presumably these guys would have wrestled before in Mexico. Yeah, yeah. They trade arm drags and leg sweeps, leading to a standoff, which the crowd does pop for. The crowd picks up an Eddie chant. Conan rallies and gets a chant of his own going. So is this the sort of stalling you were referring to, that they sort of spend a bit of time trying to get the crowd to yeah, chant? Yeah, it, it was altogether very tedious, and I think it just did the... the round about this point says this match has really started the pay-per-view thanks for that dusty (laughs) (laughs) eddie hits a gorgeous drop kick and he sets conan up on the top rope delivering a frankensteiner for a two Mm. eddie applies a camel clutch making conan humbell (laughs) fun fact (laughs) eddie's father invented that move really yes Mm. conan powers eddie through the ropes to the outside more dueling chants from the crowd, and they seem more interested in doing the dueling name chants than when they're actually wrestling. Mm. To be fair, at this point, the, the match has sped up a little bit and there is a bit more pace. Interest, yeah. Yeah. More arm drag trades end with Eddie rolling again to the outside, moving away from a Conan dive. We slow things down, with both men trading holes on the mat before an arm drag sends Conan to the outside. Conan avoids an Eddie dive. Conan reverses an Eddie Irish whip to the corner, charges and delivers possibly the biggest monkey flip I've ever seen with Eddie landing on his feet, arm dragging Conan to the outside and hitting a huge crossbody. That that little sequence was probably the best sequence on the whole show. The monkey flip, as you mentioned, the height that he got on it was something... That Just incredible. Yeah, yeah. I've, not, I've not seen anything like that before. There's a flying hesitance in there as well, I think, before the dive. Yeah. Pretty cool little sequence, that. Back inside, Eddie hits a somersault sent on over the ropes for a two, which I like that as well. Mm -hmm. Eddie applies a figure four head scissors and Conan bangs the mat to get a chant going. Conan manages to flip out and hits a German suplex trying for a second, but Eddie rolls him up for a two. Eddie rolls Conan over with a Hurricane Rana for a sort of sloppy pin exchange. Conan hits a Splash Mountain powerbomb for a two. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Splash Mountain. It's it's like a a sit-out razor's edge. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. It was nice. Conan sits on the top rope, and as Eddie climbs to grab him, Conan shoves him to the outside all the way from the top. He then hits a lame-looking tope, showing Eddie into the steel barricade. Barely touches him, does he? Yeah, and Eddie just sort of has to propel himself backwards. Yeah. Back inside, Conan heads to the top rope, but Eddie cuts him off and hits a superplex for a two-count, which sadly the crowd don't really buy. It wasn't... It was a slightly odd superplex. There was no... It was kind of quite low and quite flat... Eddie heads to the top, but Conan cuts him off. He tries to pull Eddie into the ring, but Eddie manages to pull Conan through with him for a two. Eddie jumps, and seemingly Conan's face connects with his balls, leading to the three count at 18 minutes and 27 seconds. Shivani tries to sell it as a low blow or a headbutt, but it really wasn't either. Post-match, Conan brings Eddie to his feet, but Eddie is pissed and shoves him away. 
it looked like a botch. It does, yeah. It just doesn't look like it should finish the match. No, it shouldn't at all. Because when you look at the replays as well, it's not even a vicious, what might be considered low blow, if, if that's what they're going to call it, because there's not really much contact and it was well, it was a bit innocuous. In all fairness, you don't need much contact to the balls to put someone down. <laughs> True. But it when just... It, yeah, it, it looks like a botch. It's like he, he kind of comes off and Conan happens to graze his face across Eddie's mm. balls and then that's it. That's it, Done. yeah. And there was lots of other really cool moves in that match that could have been match winners. Like superplexes and, and that yeah, splash mountain thing, power yeah. But But that said, even though there was the odd good exchange in this match, it wasn't a good match. No, and I think maybe in the description I've read out, it maybe sounds a bit better than it actually was. It's too long. It yeah, was, eight, was, 18 minutes. It yeah. was too long. A good 10-minute opener, fast-paced, with good stuff in it, would have been just about right. Yeah, my, my summary of the match really is a bit of a mixed bag, really. There were some really nice points, but it went very, very long, and I've no idea what the finish was supposed to be. Also, the announcers kind of had no clue as to call what was going on in the ring, and it's kind of why they add Mike Tanay to the booth solely for cruiserweight matches later on, okay. because he actually knows the people in the ring and what they're doing. As, as much as I've bigged up Dusty Rhodes, my second note in this match is I cannot understand what Dusty is saying. He is saying a lot, but he's not really adding an awful lot to the match at this point because I can't tell half of what he, the words that he's using. It's a problem. The, and the, the other problem that this has, and I guess I might come back to this point later on, because I'm going to start comparing this to King of the Ring 95 in your house four. Neither of those pay-per-views particularly for me would have had much in way of expectation. I look at that as a match on paper, Conan against Eddie, yeah, and I'm thinking... This should be a really good opener. And that level of disappointment after the expectation is hard to cope with. One thing we should mention that we haven't touched upon, Eddie's hair. Eddie's mullet is... Mm. Yeah. This was, in some ways, a very bad night for you, Adam, and in some ways, a very good night. It's almost like there's too much on offer. It's It's like a hair buffet that you don't quite know where to start. Yeah, there's mullets everywhere. Mullets coming out the wazoo. I'd have to say so, Tony Schiavone, maybe just a little prematurely. I've got a very nervous Colonel Robert Parker pacing back and forth. Don't soil yourself, Colonel. I'm going to talk to you in just a moment. As I remind the fans at home watching Uncensored tonight on pay-per-view, you can chat with the superstars of World Championship Wrestling online tonight through CompuServe, including the man that stands seven foot four inches tall, and weighs 446 pounds tonight. Online, you can talk to the giant. He's going to be facing the Loch Ness Monster. These, these two men go well over a half ton, well over 1,000 pounds between the two of them. Be part of it all on CompuServe. Now, Colonel Robert Parker joined with none other than Dick Slater. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the two of you were hardly even talking. As a matter of fact, I'm not so certain you weren't responsible and still are for the absence of Bunkhouse Buck. But... You're going to be meeting a woman tonight. That's the first Colonel Robert Parker. And where do you start? (laughs) You know, you're showing me a lot of gratitude for coming out here and fighting on your behalf right here in Tupelo tonight. You know, uh, before I say anything, I want to thank Dick for all the help and training that he's given me. I'm doing this match for you tonight, Dick. I'm doing it for my great uncle, Colonel Tom Parker, for Red and all the boys, for Elvis himself. I'm doing it. For Elvis you, was born here. that's it. 
I'm doing it for you also. And don't you forget that. I'm doing it for all the people in the great state of Mississippi that loves Colonel Parker like a hog loves slop. I'm going to take that girl. I'm going to rub her face in it real good. I'm going to give her what all of you good for nothing sitting out there of the male gender ain't got the guts enough to do. You yellow shaky hand coward, sit there and watch Colonel Parker do your fighting tonight against Medusa. You know, I could just about read your mind. Dick Slater, uh, any parting thoughts, so to speak? Well, no, Colonel, put it right on, nail it, nail it right on the head. Everything, every man sitting out there has got to really love the Colonel now, because when the Colonel whips Medusa, he's gonna, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be wrestling history. <laughs> Thank you very much, gentlemen. Watch your hands, Colonel. Don't you worry about my hands. I'm going to be all over her, and I'm going to teach her what a man stands for. I'm stronger. I'm bigger. I'm taller. I'm the rooster, and I'm going to prove it. All right. He's in his own stomping grounds. Gentlemen, I thank you very much. Colonel Robert Parker to meet Medusa, man versus woman tonight as part of Uncensored. La Carne. Let's get back to the ring and the lunchman Dave Penzer. Backstage, Mean Gene is with the nervous Colonel Robert Parker and Dirty Dick Slater. The joint is on CompuServe. The fingers he has used to type are too fat. Please mash the keypad <laughs> to obtain a special typing wand. Uh, uh, That's harsh because he's not fat yet, but he has got fat fingers. <laughs> he's definitely got fat fingers. Also, this is the you know your number one heel, the big, mean, smelly, nasty, mm. warty giant. Come chat with him on AOL. But the thing is, I thought that it was very focused while he was doing it. And I don't know if you noticed it. He, he, I thought he looked quite academic. I thought he could be kind of, you know... He's a smart man. You know, sitting behind a desk, perhaps doing a bit of maths. Well, I mean, and and he, get, he gets to the end of what he's doing, and you see him, and then he gets his big, his big finger, and then just, like, obviously hits enter. <laughs> really quite, in, in quite an exaggerated way. Just right. imagine me, well, no, imagine the giant just doing that on the enter key. Um, he, he's motioning finger. like a big exaggerated enter you, you know like when you used to watch gladiators and people would have the big foam fingers yeah like that but wcw technologically up to date using the internets to talk to people exactly wwf still using phone lines they're like fax in your ideas parker is very sweaty he says he's fighting for elvis himself and for mean gene oakland he says he's going to beat up a woman because we the audience can't and Dirty Dick Slater messes up the line, hitting the nail on the head. But, but also, after that, after Slater's had his words, Parker also says something about putting his hands all over her, which just sounded wrong on so many levels. Sounded... Apart from the fact he's going to beat up a woman. Well, yeah, but, but I also thought that, that it brought in an element of sexual... Rapiness. You had to take it too far, but, you know, misdemeanors, let's say. I'm not saying that I agree with what, Colonel Parker is saying the, the look on your face is different <laughs> it's a look that says I fully agree with what Colonel Parker is saying but not a bad promo yeah he, he's a good talker a, a, actually yeah. pretty good well, in, Dirty Dick Slater yeah. less good well, in terms of playing a misogynist yeah he does a pretty good job yeah. obviously he mentors Jeff Jarrett at a later date <laughs> is it, did, didn't he come in as some sort of like southern slaver yeah owner? slaver type character yeah, I, don't, I don't think that made TV where he had Harlem Heat as his slaves mm. but yeah really yeah that was a thing oh my well, word. That, what, they came to the ring in chains Paul are you kidding me no what is wrong with wrestling <laughs> lots 
it's all encapsulated in this I mean, one show. But he kind of is that character. It's almost in you know in Django Unchained. Yeah. As, as preparation for his role, Leonardo DiCaprio looked at some Colonel Robert Parker promos to work out how he should act. Now I really like that film, but I'm imagining it would be better with Colonel Robert <laughs> Parker in it. Booker T as Django. <laughs> That'd be terrible. Yeah, I hate Booker T. I, I don't mind Booker T. I don't like his commentary. Hmm. Our second bout is Lord Stephen Regal versus the Belfast Bruiser. We've seen Lord Stephen Regal before, but the Belfast Bruiser is, of course, David Fit Finlay. Finlay, who was recommended to WCW by both Regal and Terry Funk, who told Booker Kevin Sullivan that Finlay was one of the top five wrestlers he'd ever worked with, yeah. made his wrestling debut in 1974, competing mostly in Northern Ireland and Ireland. He made the move over to England in the late 70s and became a regular as part of ITV's World of Sport. Finlay became a world-travelled wrestler, competing all over Europe and in Japan, and competed in a dark match for the WWF at the Federation's debut UK show on October the 10th, 1989. Fit Finlay made his US television wrestling debut on the January the 27th episode of WCW Saturday Night when he attacked Stephen Regal during a squash match. He turned up wearing a jacket with Northern Ireland written on the back and gave Regal a good kicking. <laughs> He introduced himself as Fit Finley, the Belfast Bruiser, and said that Regal was an English pig and that Regal would pay for 400 years of what had been done to his country. Oh God. This angle was mostly played out on WCW Saturday Night with both men interfering in each other's matches. A bit political, this angle. Mm. Especially, yeah, given the context of the time. Yeah. Out first is Lord Stephen Regal and his butler, Jeeves. Now, now, don't take this sentence the wrong way, but I've put, it really looks like the wrestlers are entering through the tradesman's entrance. Yes. Yeah. Like, it just looks like they haven't finished the set. And it's so massive, isn't it? This, have they not kind of shot themselves in the foot slightly in that people just must be looking at this huge structure and that kind of must be taking a lot of their focus or their expectation of the pay-per-view away from whatever else is happening? Is it maybe that why the crowd's a little flat? It's a bit weird that there's a ring where the ring should be and then a ring where the ring shouldn't yeah, be. It's, yeah, it's almost like that's the that's the main event ring. That's the main stage. Yeah. And we're and we're watching all the stuff that's on the other stage. It's a bit like the hog pen match in that sense. But with less pigs. Yeah. And more Zeus. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things why why didn't they put almost like a, a fake entrance in front of like that, in front of and that then lift it up. Yeah and just like take it out of the way. Just like even if it's just like you know, some chipboard with some glitter on it or something. <laughs> Make an effort. I guess some it's, MDF. Yeah. I guess it's because, brother, everyone's got to be looking at the Hawkster's main event ring. Yeah, maybe. Dusty calls Regal's butler chives. Mm. <laughs> Out next is Finley auditioning for a role in Mad Max. That's exactly what I've put. I've wow, put. He's got spooky. His, in his Mad Max guys. Yeah. Who's Mad Max? You've never seen Mad Max. What do you mean you've never seen Mad Max? I've never seen Bagged Up Abroad either. Legitimately, have you never seen Mad Max? You you could feasibly ignore the first film, but you should watch Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. It's where the road warriors come from. Yeah. And Demolition. It's an hour and a half of genius. Yeah, it's a great film. Okay. Would Mrs. Scrivens like it? it? It's pretty scientifically accurate as to what will happen in the future in Australia, if not now. I don't think Mrs. Scrivens would like it because... Well, actually, she, has she ever been to Australia? She has, yes. Does she find Mel Gibson sexually attractive? I've no idea. She might recognise it then. Go, just walk away. <laughs> Say that to her. See if she gets it. <laughs> She'll do it in my sexy voice. Go on then. Go, just walk away. 
I think we've had too much of your sexy voice on this podcast. I think we've not had enough. <laughs> I hate it that we keep having to pause for five minutes after we do it. <laughs> Finley smacks Jeeves on his way down. Regal looks to attack to open, but Finley flails his jacket at him. Regal hits some stiff-looking uppercuts to open, and Finley counters with knees and an elbow. He stamps on Regal's fingers and hits a nasty clothesline. I'm going to sum this match up in one word. Stiff. Snug. Stiff, yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought, I thought you were going to go for smoke. I know, I'll just put, they proceed to beat the shit out of each other. And, and then that's it for my notes for quite a while. I, I'm not quite sure what this was in reference to, but I noted down a little bit of commentary where they talk about, he booted him, or he should be a football player, and then it, and then it gravitated to soccer, and then to rugby. Excellent. <laughs> Finley gets some kicks to the spine, and he gets a pop for doing so. They're kind of both heels, so I think this is a bit confusing for the crowd, really. Mm. Regal keeps Finley grounded by the neck and he finds time to call the ref a bloody swine. Yeah. I do love Regal's trash talking during matches. Yeah. Finley knees his way out and throws Regal to the outside. He throws Regal neck first into the railings and pulls Regal shoulder first into the corner post. Back inside, Finley works on Regal's arm, but Regal eye pokes his way out. And the commentators keep talking about this match being England versus Ireland, not England versus Northern Ireland. Could they not read his jacket? Uh, mm. This is how they sort out the, the peace agreement. But he does just say Ireland on his... Maybe he's defected then. I, I don't know, maybe there was something on the back that I didn't notice, but I'm sure it just said on the front Ireland. Well, his jacket when he debuted definitely said Northern Ireland. Also, Belfast is not in Ireland, it's in Northern Ireland. I don't know whether... Would, would Americans distinct too much between Ireland and Northern Ireland? I don't think they... they distinct anything between England and Ireland. <laughs> would they just think Ireland's just one place? And yeah. whether you're in the north or the south, it's irrelevant. Yeah, probably. And this match kind of alternates between arm slash neck holds and stiff strikes to the face. It's generally quite slow, and I think, again, perhaps your description makes the sound snappier, sound more entertaining than, than it was. And, and another note here is I've written Dusty Mate, sometimes less is more, <laughs> in terms of his commentary. Finley gets a two count from a forceful body slam and a senton. He gets another from an explosive clothesline. Shivani tells us, should Macho survive the Doomsday Cage, he and Finley will face off on Nitro tomorrow night. I'd watch, watch that, that yeah, yeah. yeah. On the outside, Finley looks for a chair, but they're kind of locked together, like those ones in school assemblies. Yeah. That was quite funny. Well, and then somebody says he should pick up the whole row, which, yeah, he should have done. But there's people sat on them. Yeah. No, there's about three he could have had, I reckon. Finley attempts to suplex Regal into the ring from the apron, but Regal reverses and suplexes Finley to the outside before dropping an elbow on the mats. The announcers discuss this being a different side of Lord Regal, and I quite like that characterisation, that he's been quite snooty and snotty. Snooty? Snotty. Snotty. It's what? It's another film you've not seen, don't worry. Just to just kind of go back to your point, actually, there was another bit of commentary that I picked up on about Ireland, Northern Ireland. One of the commentators says Ireland's about five miles from London. Yeah. Yeah. It's apparently seven minutes if you get a bus. Yeah. <laughs> I think that that's Heenan ripping on Dusty for being so thick, though, isn't okay. it? The fans pop for Finley brutalising Regal. Regal cleverly distracts the referee and boots Finley in the balls. How many low blows are there on this show? Quite a lot. Regal pulls some faces in celebration, and Dusty can't say gluteus maximus. Well, yes, and he, and this is a good line, says, there's another term you can mispronounce on Saturday night. And then he does proceed to go, nutimus maximus. It's a gluteus maximus. 
It doesn't say no. It doesn't begin it with a G. It begins it with an N. <laughs> it's Newtimer. Like Nudith Mathemus. Nudith Mathemus. I do like the way my um, Dusty Rose impression is probably spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Just like all your others. I know. It's not as good as your macho man one. Yeah. I thought you were going to do it then. You normally do it. I don't want to wear it out. <laughs> Are you too engaged in your sexy voice that doing a macho man yeah. impression now wouldn't work? Can you do a sexy macho man? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think you've got a future career in phone sex. He's very prudish. It'd be really boring. <laughs> no, we can't talk about that. No, I won't talk about Japanese rain goggles. I'm showing my ankles. What, what, what are you wearing? Um, I'm wearing a waistcoat, um, a jacket, some overalls. And a chastity belt. <laughs> Finley punches Regal square in the face. Yeah. Just like... This match is going nowhere. I'm going to whack him in the face. He bleeds everywhere. Yes, Regal's nose is broken. And it's fucking nasty. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty hideous one. So much for uncensored, the camera now won't show a close-up of Regal's bloody nose. Mm. Heavily censored, 96. <laughs> <laughs> this is the same as fucking last year when mm. they had that match on the bloody truck and Dustin Rhodes yeah. bled and they wouldn't show it. What call a fucking pay-per-view uncensored and then not show some blood? Well, it's, it's also a bit... Don't you find it counterintuitive in terms of the audience that they're going Appealing after? For, because, yeah. you know, you're looking at that, you know, what was it, 18, 30 male demographic, yeah. and you're thinking, they don't mind a bit of blood. Yeah. They'll probably quite enjoy that kind of... More to the point, I'm pretty grit. sure there was blood at Super Brawl and they didn't have a problem showing that, but on the one called Uncensored, don't, don't show it. And also, you're quite happy with showing a £300 man try and beat up a woman but you won't show a broken nose in a, in a slugfest. Mm. Regal fires back, elbowing Finley right in the face before running him down the aisle and into the cage in the entranceway. For no reason, Dave Taylor and Bobby Eaton come out and give Finley a kicking to end this match. Regal gives Finley a final backhand to the face and Finley wins by DQ at 17.33 before chasing the Blue Bloods to the back. Now, don't get me wrong, I kind of welcomed the end of this match because I think it had gone on a bit too long. But it was it, an awful finish. It really took me by surprise. Well, why are they there? Well, they're part of Regal's but crew. Just, they're the Blue Bloods. But there was no... I guess I've not seen any context around it, but there was no warning. It was just... I oh. feel it was one of those things where they were just stood backstage and Bischoff just went, go out fucking finish this This now. is going on. Go out there. It was, a, you know, again, this is another match that I had high expectations for. You hear Finley Regal, you think, this is going to be good. I'm going to sit up and take notice. And I wish I hadn't. <laughs> I'd, I'd say exactly the same thing as I did in the last match too long some moments very good lots of boring sort of like rest holds and one great mullet <laughs> tell us about Finley's hair it's an interesting one I, I don't think it, it's not fully unique but it's definitely got this weird sort of like two-toned coloration going with it there's like a blonde Most, bit yeah the, the the top the top part of his head is gray definitely gray and then the bottom half is is pretty much coloring a you know a bit of a gradient going down and i don't know whether you like dyed his hair and then just let it grow and didn't bother redying it or his long bit of his hair is the remnants of his actual hair color and now he's just gray the thing is this match had something really going for it in terms of being different yeah and and like we say, the, the two opening matches, you've got two very different types of matches, which when you're presenting a wrestling show, 
you know, you should be able to showcase different styles and different types of matches and people who excel in different areas. And you've got that with the kind of the Lucha Mexican style of Conan and Eddie in the first match and then this horrible potato fest that follows. But it's too fucking long. Yeah. The crowd, for the most part, don't know what to make of it. And it was fucking brutal. I'll say that. It's at least five minutes over. Mine said seven minutes shorter it should be. I mean, you talk about the crowd popping, and there are moments where the crowd reacts, but I don't know if I'd go as far as, say, pop. There, right. is, there are these moments of interest, but it's not kind of big, over-the-top, I'm really into it. It's more like begrudging respect than real enthusiasm. I, I think we can perhaps gauge pops, as in I'd say, you know when Razor signals for his Razor's Edge? That's a pop. That's a pop. When Linda McMahon stands up at Mania 17. That's, that's the biggest the pop. pop that has ever existed. But I'd say the razor signaling for his razor's edge at this point in time gets a good pop. Is, is that that that's a good barometer sort of level for a good pop? We don't get anything up to that sort of level of no. crowd reaction, do we? Plus, you've got two heels, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, they wailed on each other anyway. So. Yeah, the, the the crowd responded to some more extreme violence, really. But which, which you'd hope they would on a but, show called Uncensored. Yeah, but they've not got a huge amount of investment in the match. No. Tony, I don't know what to tell you. It is something else. I'm back in the locker room area right now. This man to my immediate left, seven foot four, 440-some-odd pounds, will be facing another giant of sorts, the nearly 700-pound Loch Ness. That's a man, by the way, that you publicly humiliated. You adios him here a, a week or so ago. You don't mean, Jane, Jimmy tonight's Hart. tonight, baby, that Jimmy Hart proves to the whole world, baby, why he's the greatest professional wrestling manager in the world today. Nobody puts their hands on me and gets involved with it. Whether it's Sting, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and especially the big 750-pound Loch Ness, baby. All right, let's talk to a man who's going to have to get in the ring. You're tall. This man is wide. He's your target tonight. And the winner of this match tomorrow night. On WCW Monday Nitro, I have been informed, will face the nature boy, Ric Flair, for the WCW heavyweight title of the world. I could start off with rhymes. I could start off with riddles. Loch Ness in the ring, I'm going to smoke you like bacon on the griddle. And let me tell you, Ric Flair, you better think about what's going to happen to you. Because Monday Night Nitro, after the cage match today... I'm going to tell you, limb from limb, the WCW Heavyweight Championship belt was mine, is mine, and it's going to be around my waist again. That belt is mine, and that's all that needs to be said. Thank you very much. The seven-foot-four-inch giant facing Loch Ness coming up here at Uncensored. Jimmy Hart, I thank you very much. You know, all of this is something to ponder here tonight. Dusty, and of course the brain, weasel, <laughs> Tony, let's get back to you. Mean Gene is with Jimmy Hart and the Giant, who has finished on Chat Roulette. Jimmy Hart (laughs) does some shouting, and Gene tells us that the winner of Loch Ness and the Giant gets a title shot on Nitro the next night. That's right. Keep hyping the title match on the free show. Well done for paying all this money. We're going to tell you exactly what you can see tomorrow night. Mm. The Giant shouts about smoking bacon. Yes, he does. He rhymes, doesn't he? Yes, it's something about rhyme and riddle... Blah blah griddle. It's it's that was spot on. Yeah. It was. He was something like like I can I, something like I can rhyme. I can riddle. This will look really bad if you now play I'll, that promo. Oh well, I will. Because I, can't, I will okay. have done. Well, I can't remember very much, but there's something about rhyme, riddle, smoking and bacon. There's definitely bacon. Yeah. yeah. Is it, 
cooking Loch Ness on, on like a bacon on a griddle. Yeah. I, I forget what it was. Cooking but NC's like a pound of bacon. It's not vanilla ice. <laughs> it's a good line, though, isn't it? Vanilla giant. <laughs> That's got a mutley laugh out of scrivens. <laughs> I, I didn't mind it, though. I don't actually mind the giant's silly, shouty I promos. I find him difficult to understand. He's, I didn't he, think it was that bad. He's a bit better than when we first saw him come out Halloween Havoc sort of style. He's making he's a little bit more coherent now in what he's saying. I'm still mm. amazed he's alive after Halloween Havoc. The announcers babble on for a bit about Medusa and Dusty Rhodes pulls a silly gormless face. I would uh, assume so, Tony Schiavone. Uh, a great show thus far tonight and still a whole lot to come. By the way, tonight on the hotline, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you watching this pay-per-view, it's the only way you could do it, we have got a ton of things to talk about. There have been comings and goings in professional wrestling over the past week or 10 days that have been absolutely astronomical. Now the latest rumor is that one of the major superstars of this great sport may be hanging up the the, tights, if you will. That's what I was looking for, really, gentlemen. Yes, hanging up the tights, leaving professional wrestling to go to Hollywood, of all places. We've got the details right now on the WCW hotline on option one. Give us a call, 1-900-909-9900. It's red hot. It's on the hotline right now. Nearly 700 pounds of this. Gentlemen, come on in, if you would, please. This man is going it alone tonight here at Uncensored. No Jimmy Hart. That's all over with tonight. Just you and the Giant. As you know, the winner will be facing the Nature Boy, Ric Flair, tomorrow night on Nitro. Well, Mean Gene, just let me tell you something. That weasel face, Hart, he brought me all the way over across the ocean. A weasel-faced Hart? Yes, that's the way I describe him. He promised me a shot at Hogan in the Doomsday match. But with the power of attorney, he pulled me out of the match. Well, let me tell you something, Hart. Tonight, I take it out on your man, the Giant. Because when I drop 700 pounds right across him, he won't get up. This I guarantee you. What happens if you get your hands on Jimmy Hart tonight? Do I dare speculate, Loch Ness? I can't tell you what I'm going to do with him because it won't be allowed on TV. But you can imagine, Mean Gene, when I get my hands on him, he'll know all about it. By the way, I've got to introduce you to my, my neighbor down in Florida. He's a dentist. You'll love this guy. Thanks a lot very much. The Loch Ness is going to be facing the giant here at Uncensored as we take you back to the ring. Back to Mean Gene again, who tries to get us to ring his hotline. Fucking hell, Gene. We've already paid for the pay-per-view. You've already got my money. In comes Loch Ness. He's a deeply unattractive man. He shouts... That's that's really narrow-minded. He's a really good ambassador for Britain. What with his slim waistline and good dental hygiene. He shouts through his horrendous teeth about weasel-faced Jimmy Hart. He tells us that Hart promised him a shot at Hogan in the Doomsday match, but Hart pulled him out. What's his accent? Where's he from? Is he like black country or... I thought he was a bit more northern. I thought it it verged on Scotland. (laughs) I don't think he's that northern. No, I don't think he is. You get my drift. I certainly think further north than Midlands. Gene says he'll introduce Loch Ness to his dentist, and Loch Ness just stares at him like he actually wants to kill him. Yeah, like that's actually quite offensive, Gene. He's upset by this. You twat. 
it was such hard work watching this show last night that we we kind of stopped to have a discussion about the eighties kids TV show Family Ness. Americans probably will not be familiar with this, but, but anyone around our age from the UK probably yeah. will be. But we'll have vague recollections if of you, it. If you're not yeah. familiar with this, get familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> it had a great theme song. What, what was the show about, Paul? I can't remember. But it was about Loch Ness, and, and there was different kind of Loch Ness monsters, and they all had names that ended in Ness. So there was one... Did you do some research on it? Or watch the show things like Grumpy Ness... Happiness. Grumpiness. Happiness. You used to say penis. Penis. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Yeah. Oh, no, that's penis. <laughs> <laughs> it's sticking out of the water. <laughs> Quit blowing your thistle whistle. Yeah, they, they, had, they had thistle whistles that they blow on to attract... Summon these Loch Ness yeah, monsters. To, to save the day. Did, in a did, zany... they, did they just summon random... I think, Nesses. I, th- I think they whatever contributed to the story Tried, that week. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Floppiness. <laughs> Is that something you struggled with? <laughs> Stephness. <laughs> okay, here we go. I've got the Wikipedia up. Okay, good. We have Ferociousness, Her Highness. That's the Queen of the Nessies. <laughs> Babyness. Uh, one of the characters is apparently called Mrs. McToffee. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might have been one of the humans. Yeah, but guess what she owned? A sweet shop. Bingo. Carefulness, cleverness, eagerness, forgetfulness. It says it's played by Adam Wikes. Eyewitness. That's that is the best. <laughs> it says monster with a patch over one eye who looks like a pirate. He has a tendency to place his telescope over the wrong eye. <laughs> oh, that's gold. They, they can't have had a character called Eyewitness. <laughs> Apparently they did. Unless someone's edited this Wikipedia. That's possible. It was in an episode about a murder on the family nest. <laughs> That's bollocks. That no, doesn't that exist. That is bollocks. I just made that up. <laughs> Grumpy Ness. Yeah. yeah, there you go. It says, extremely depressed monster, often plays board games against himself. <laughs> Fair enough. Heavy Ness. Lovely Ness, and that's the only female Nessie apart from her high Ness. She has long blonde hair. Oh. Mighty Ness. Was there not a hairy Ness? No, apparently not. Naughty Ness. Lil Ness, which is apparently a bright orange one. Hmm. Silly Ness. Speedy Ness. Sporty Ness. And Hungry Ness. There you go. Is that Ginger Ness? Scary Ness? Do we have any more of the Spice Girls? Sporty Ness. Yeah, we had Sporty Ness and we had Baby Ness. Yeah. Poshness. Poshness, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. It ran for 25 episodes of Five Minutes a Pop. It was originally aired on Channel One. Related shows, Jimbo and the Jet Set and oh, Penny Crayon. I remember Jimbo and the Jet Set, I love that, yeah. Oh, Penny Crayon. Had a good theme song. Well, I distinctly... Penny Crayon was good. Well, so did The Family Ness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Was it Jumbo? Jumbo? Jumbo and the Jet, Jet Set. Set, yeah. I distinctly remember, when I was at primary school, I went home and for tea... I had fish and chips, and I got a fishbowl stuck in my throat and had to go to hospital. <laughs> and all that they had there for, for a child of my age to read for about five hours, literally about five hours was while I was waiting, was a kind of annual of uh, Jumbo. Jimbo. Jimbo, Jumbo. Jimbo and the Jets. Huh? Yeah. What, what happened? Was your throat okay? It was okay. And in the future, I was told that if it was to happen again... What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to get a little ball of bread. So you basically get a bit of bread, roll it into a little ball and swallow it. 
new gen podcast saving lives. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, he didn't do that to me. He stuck a load of long tweezers down my throat and yanked it out. Sounds lovely. I got to keep it. I kept. I kept the bone for um, posterity. Yeah. Have you still it, got it? No, it was. It was like it was in a little bit of gauze in a pot on my mum's um, shelf. Loveliness. Yeah. yeah, loveliness. And it didn't put you off fish and chips. No, I, I worked hard to get over that phobia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this pay per view fucking stinks. <laughs> <laughs> we have to resort to talking about the family ness. The third bout of the evening <laughs> is Medusa versus Colonel Robert Parker in a man versus woman match. Colonel Robert Parker and his beau Sherry were scheduled to get married at a little white chapel during the Clash of the Champions 32 on January the 23rd after Parker had proposed during an episode of WCW Saturday Night in early January. As with all good wrestling weddings, it didn't go to plan. Parker admitted that he had lost all of his money gambling in Las Vegas and was seen talking on the phone to someone that he called his little fried pie. Sherry eventually arrived, and as Mean Jean Oakland walked her down the aisle, Medusa attacked Sherry and the two brawled outside the chapel. Speculation seemed to be that Medusa was the aforementioned fried pie. On the January 29th Nitro, as... <laughs> Can I just say, what, what an unattractive pet name. <laughs> A fried pie. That's your introduction the next episode. My little fried pie, Adam Watts. <laughs> A fried pie. That's like when you get it's in like McDonald's, those McDonald's, McDonald's isn't it? ones. Yeah. yeah, it's a fried oh. pie. Oh, like, like I get, I get you. Yeah. It's hotter than the sun. sun yeah, yeah. Well, eight minutes would do that. On the January 29th Nitro, as Mean Gene attempted to interview Sherry, Medusa attacked from behind, beginning a match between the two women. Sherry won the bout with a cradle, but Medusa continued her attack after the bell, hitting one of the nicest German suplexes I've ever seen. Bischoff then suggested that Medusa could have stayed in the WWF and competed in the men's division, which I gather was a slight on the WWF male athletes, not speculation that Alundra was intersex. Well, I think Adam's just misconstrued you there. And is, is Medusa like a bad person in this? I think she's a babyface. Parker's definitely a heel. Yeah, yeah, but didn't she just like attack... Some woman on a wedding day. That, and and it's what... potentially a fried pie. I suppose that would make her a heel. Yeah, okay. Out comes Robert Parker in his lovely suit. He shakes the referee's hand, which was nice of him. He's a gent. Out follows Medusa, and she gets some Catherine wheels. I've got to say, one of my favourite types of pyrotechnic. I think she's also got an even newer face. Parker tries to shake her hand, but she wiggles her ass instead. Parker removes his jacket, but keeps his shirt on. They lock up to start, and Dusty has absolute apoplexy. <laughs> he goes bonkers for it, like I genuinely think he's wetting himself. <laughs> the camera briefly switches down to check out Medusa's ass as Parker breaks clean. But the it's thing, it's the almost thing is, it's done in the way that, you know, you, you just have a look. But, it really was. Like, all, all right, mate, you're not just having a look. You're, you're actually you're broadcasting the, to yeah, millions you're, of people. You're, you're broadcasting the, to the world. The, the, this was the thing. It was clearly a guy who forgot he had a camera in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> but, is it, but it was like that, for, for any kind of female viewers, that is what a man's mind is like. Well, maybe, maybe that was the plan. Maybe just said when she gets in the corner so that people aren't looking too much, just, just focus down there so they can see what's going on. They lock up again and Parker flexes his muscles. A third time and Medusa backs Parker into the corner before flipping him over. And the crowd pops for that. Yeah, the crowd's That's probably that... hottest for this match out it, of anything. It, it, it is. They like a bit of um, intergender violence. 
It looks like Medusa is finding this all quite amusing. She seems to be smirking yeah. quite a lot. She's having a whale of a time. She's quite peculiar in this, actually. She's quite animated in what she's doing. and she's, She squeals and screams quite a lot as well. Yes, it, it was odd because she, she goes or, or she approaches this match kind of taking it quite light-hearted and presumably wants to come across as a serious player who can take on a guy and then does the girliest scream later on. Mm. Parker picks Medusa up for an airplane spin and she squeals, but she brings Parker down for a pin. Medusa hits a body slam and Dusty definitely wets himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> To be fair, it was, it was a decent body slam. It was, yeah. He's, he's, he's quite a big, heavy guy, yeah, isn't he? Is, so. yeah. Parker gets a lifting chokehold but misses an elbow drop. Medusa hits a pair of kicks from the second rope and Parker bails to the outside. She looks for a crossbody to the outside, but they just sort of fall to the ground, cuddling. In what I christened the worst move ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, was, it looked like one of these ones where it was supposed to end up being a DDT or something, kind of a transition into a DDT. But it just ended up being nothing. It just ended up in falling over. It kind of looked like he was actually protecting her as she fell down. He, he just kind of he cuddles her a little bit and they kind of fall over. I, I just think he wasn't sure what to do. Back inside, Medusa hits a German suplex, but Dick Slater pulls her foot out, and Parker rolls on top of Medusa, penis to her face for the pin at three minutes and forty-seven seconds. We're, we're on we're on form today because my notes say penis to face finish, and it's and it's not the first. It, we're, we're currently on a two out of three hit rate for matches that involved a penis to the face for the finish. Yeah. That's how you win. Penis is all over this pay per view. Ah <laughs> <laughs> <Och>, no. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what this was supposed to achieve, this match. Yeah. Because it didn't make her look good. It didn't make him look good. It made no one look good. But it was mercifully short. At least it wasn't 17 minutes. <laughs> yes. It was short and the crowd was actually relatively into it. Overall, I've got to say, not bad as far as entertainment's going. It was, it, was, it, was, it was more entertaining than the first two matches. I would say it's quite lively. Wrestling fans, there should be no doubt in anybody's mind as to why this is called WCW Uncensored, as you have seen some of the wildest action that has been seen inside the four corners of any ring in quite some time. But if you think things have gotten hot so far, I guarantee you things are just starting to heat up. Those following WCW know that the tag team situation is what all the writers are talking about. Everything is on the line. Everybody wants a shot at these guys, and I got a feeling you guys want a shot at anybody that's willing to step in against you. It does not matter who we're going to go against. We want to kick everybody's butt. And right now, in a very short time, Sting Booker T, you're going to find out why we're called the Chicago Big Bullies. We don't get to be the champions of the Chicago Street Fight for beating up nobodies. We got to be the Road Warriors for beating up the best. Tell them, Hawk. The Medulla Obligata, otherwise known as the brainstem, controls all the body functions, everything. Booker T and Sting, I and Animal, are going to remove your brainstems. You will have to depend on the pens for the rest of your life. Because, you see... We're the team that says what we're going to do and then gets the job done. There's no sticking way you two could legally beat us two anytime, anyplace, especially in our match. That Chicago Street Fight, the one we're best at. All out blitz. Anything goes. Nobody cares, especially us. Well, we've got a situation here where Booker T has a line with Sting. Obviously, Harlem Heat wants a shot 
at the WCW World Tag Team Championship. These guys want a shot. I'm telling you, it has not gotten any hotter in tag team competition than it is right now. Uncensored continues. Let's go to the ring. Tony the Tiger is standing by with the schematics for the Doomsday Cage. Is Paul Bearer light? It's Lee Marshall, but he's the voice of Tony the Tiger. His voice is amazing. I really like it. His interview skills, however, aren't. Yes. <laughs> the cage on the blackboard, I wonder if it's like they actually haven't finished designing it and they're just finishing it off when the pay-per-view starts and someone left it there by accident. I'd like to think it's that's logical. what's happening. Yeah. The road warriors appear and Animal does some shouting. Tell them, Hawk. Hawk tells us about the medulla oblongata. He says they will basically remove Booker T and Sting's brain stems. Mm. I love this promo. I, I thought you would. I thought it was really good. Loads of shouting, and Hawk manages to keep up that shouty bit while talking about the medulla oblongata, which is, you know, it was quite fairly good. Yeah, yeah. The announcers tell us that DDP has sold all of his clothes, and we take a look at a promo for Slambury 1996. I watched this show. It's fucking abysmal. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not cover it. Okay. okay. Our fourth match is the Booty Man versus Diamond Dallas Page. Page's actual feud was with Johnny B. Bad, and that had been running for quite some time as we saw them have a pay-per-view bout back at Halloween Havoc 95. That was relatively good, they wasn't it? They worked well yeah, together, yeah. yeah. They were still facing each other on pay-per-view at Super Brawl on February 11th when Bad defeated Page again, winning $6 million of Page's money for Kimberly, ending the lottery win angle for Page, which had been going for the better part of a year. On the 9th of March edition of WCW Saturday Night, Lex Luger challenged Johnny B. Bad for his WCW television title. Luger won the bout when DDP dropped Bad with a diamond cutter outside the ring while Jimmy Hart distracted the referee. Post-match, Bad chastised Kimberly for appearing in the aisle on Nitro and blamed her for his title loss, claiming she wasn't watching his back. He hyped her match with Page at Uncensored, however this would be Bad's last appearance as he left the company before the pay-per-view occurred. We'll cover the reasons for his departure when he turns up on the other channel. After his departure, announcer Eric Bischoff ripped on Johnny B. Bad, claiming that he couldn't hack it where the big boys play. With Bad gone, Booty Man was inserted into this feud, with it being announced on the March 18th Nitro that if DDP lost this match, he would be gone from WCW. DDP enters, and admittedly, he does look a bit homeless. He looks rough. Yeah, he looks real rough. Dishevelled. Mm. He fakes out shaking a kid's hand, and I'm a real big DDP fan, so let's hope he can save this show. Oh, that learned you. fuck, look who his opponent is. Out comes the Barber Butcher Booty Man. Adam, what do you make to his theme tune? I quite liked it. It was a bit disco-like. What a fucking terrible gimmick this is. Why has he got it? I was really, really hoping that you were going to shed some light on why the fuck is he called the booty what man? What the fuck else are you going to call him? I don't... DDP's beard makes him look weird. Yeah. Like, he doesn't look like DDP. He looks someone different. He challenges fans to fight him, and the announcers run down Johnny B. Bad, making it clear that this match was supposed to be that match, not this match. DDP That's at this always point... a good way to sell it, isn't it? Yeah. But... I'd say DDP's pretty good at winding the crowd up. He keeps calling that guy a fat pig, which seems to be getting him some heat. He gets heat, and by proxy, it then looks like the booty man's getting cheered and he's actually Mm. over. It's a terrible gimmick, this. I can't really... Is this the prototype for Mr. Ass? Maybe it's his dad. But but Mr. Ass was actually... And I never thought I'd say this. I never (laughs) thought I'd say it. Mr. Ass was loads better than this, because he just seems to be doing some crap dad dancing and shaking his bottom an awful lot. Thrusts. He's also very orange. He's also got a headband that appears to be gaffer tape. (laughs) I don't think it is gaffer tape. It does look like gaffer tape. It really, for Americans, duct tape. 
but it does very much look like it. The announcers argue over whether it was DDP or Kimberly who won the bingo game, and that's more entertaining than what's going on in the ring. We get about five minutes into this match, and literally nothing has happened. Yeah. Well, no, something's happened. Stalling. Yeah. It's all stalling, though, isn't it? Yeah. Booty Man does some strutting before throwing DDP to the outside. And the announcers also sell the story of Booty Man going undercover in the Dungeon of Doom for Hulk Hogan. What a hero. I wish I could go undercover in the Dungeon of Doom. I'd probably stay in the Dungeon of Doom. I wonder what gimmick I'd have if I went undercover in the Dungeon of Doom. I, I, I do wonder that we might get close to the end of this podcast and it might come out that you were undercover in the Dungeon of Doom. Maybe that, that, that <laughs> should be one of your questions to the audience. If they have to re-gimmick each of us for a Dungeon of Doom gimmick. All right, we'll, we'll save that one. We'll do that. DDP attempts to bail, but Booty Man follows him and brings him back to the ring. What for? I have no idea. It's like, you've not actually done anything, so you might as well just let him fucking walk off. Yeah. Booty Man rams DDP's head into the turnbuckles, showing the depth and variety of his offence. Once again, DDP rolls to the outside and for some reason just sort of falls into the crowd for a bit. Dances round. I mean, this start, apart from the stalling, is very panto. This isn't the start. We're about ten minutes into the match. Well, yes, but it feels like the start because it's <laughs> the first signs of action. Here comes Kimberly, and business just picked up. She's dressed like a stripper ballerina. I'd say more like a cheerleader. I don't think there's an air of stripper about her. Mm. Did we end up saying chalarina? Stripperina. She looks nice. Heenan speculates she's wearing a feather duster. DDP manages to apply a headlock and Kimberly manages to get the crowd to clap for a comeback. They crisscross for a bit and Booty Man falls over seemingly on purpose. DDP struts and gets punched and then he falls over seemingly for no reason. This match is fucking awful. It's really bad. And as you're saying, like you like DDP, I think we all like DDP. We do. He cannot save this. Kimberly gets on the apron to cheer for Booty Man as DDP kicks him for a bit. Paige hits a back suplex and poses to booze. Tony fucks up a line. This is genius. And I quote, Paige wouldn't be world television champ, or as he says, world. (laughs) (laughs) That was it. Awkward silence. Yes. He'd rip on him for a bit. Basically, Paige, when he was television champion, rather than being the world television champion, he would call himself the television world champion. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but Tony fucked the lineup. And Dusty does call him on it. So he is sort of paying attention. (laughs) It was was just the the, the kind of awkward pause. It's like, oh. You can almost picture Tony Schiavone's face as, oh no. He also claims he was interrupted as well, which he he just wasn't. Paige with a sleeper hold gives Booty Man a rest as this match has been pretty much full pelt so far. Kimberly tells us the Booty Man is so cute and Nick Patrick demonstrates putting his foot on the rope, accusing DDP of such. Stop showing me this match and just give me 15 minutes of Kimberly twirling. She does look beautiful. She is pretty beautiful. DDP's chin lock goes on forever. Well, there's there's more rest holds in this than the entire IRS bet (laughs) catalogue. Do you think they sourced this match from the greatest hits of IRS? Yeah, they spliced it together. Oh, there's a chin lock. There's another chin lock. (laughs) Why don't we put that move with that move and then we'll walk around for a bit. Kimberly wants the booty man to be her boyfriend. Really? It, It almost seems like that shouldn't happen. My next note here just says Paul has started drinking. Yes, no, I I got a Chenin Blanc. Because I needed something to take the edge off. Because my note for that match is buttock-clenchingly piss poor. (laughs) Kimberly gets up on the apron, so DDP gives her a kiss. Kimberly responds with a slap, and Booty Man hits a high knee. Get it? High knee. 
Hilar- hilarious. For the three count, at exactly 16 sodding fucking minutes of my life, I will never get back. 16 minutes? 16 minutes? <laughs> so it's two apple pies. Kimberly celebrates <laughs> and Booty gives her a kiss, which she sells like she's just finished having really athletic sex. And he displays his horrendously balding hair, actually. Yeah. This is, hands down, one of the worst matches I have ever, ever seen. Literally nothing happened. Mm. Beefcake is fucking useless, and his gimmick is fucking terrible. (laughs) And the thing is that I was kind of waiting for that this match could have kind of been saved if there was an awesome diamond cutter out of nowhere. Yeah. Just in a really inventive way. It would have at least made one bit worth it. He hasn't really developed that gimmick yet of doing the diamond cutter out of nowhere. That'll come later in the year. Standing by right now, Lex Luger, the total package. And by the way, Lex is going to be part of the Doomsday match. I'm going to talk to you about that in a moment or two. But Jimmy Hart, you're the man that pulled him out of the Chicago street fight and inserted him into the Loch Ness position in this Doomsday match. And apparently, all of this is starting to bother you somewhat. You know, Mean Gene, this is a very sad and emotional night for the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, because you see, this is the last night that I'll ever walk down to the ring with Lex Luger. You're kidding. Because you see, I'm a man of my word, just like Lex is. And Lex, before I go, I just want to leave you with this official Lex Luger jacket for you to put in your trophy case, because you see, I love you, man. Oh, blow it out, Jimmy Hart, I can't believe you. Here's a guy that has led you down a primrose path, Lex Luger. That may be the best news you've heard tonight. I've said it all along, Gene. I've been caught between a rock and a hard place in this whole thing. Because right now, Gene, i got to go through the most difficult moments of my wrestling career. Because looming in the background, I've been out there, I've been next to that cage, is the most dangerous match I've ever seen or going to witness in professional wrestling history about to come down. But before that, Gene, I have to wrench deep down inside my gut and watch my tag team partner, one half of the world tag team champions here in world championship wrestling, you, go you out. You bailed on him, Luger. Come on. Let's, uh, let's call it as we... Contrary to popular rumor, Gene, that is the furthest thing from the truth. This is a very emotional moment for me because my partner Sting, my best friend in the whole wide world, is going out in a Chicago street fight without his tag team partner Lex Luger from Chicago. And that breaks my heart. But I'm going to be there, Stinger. I'm going to be watching out for you. I'm going to be watching your back like you do for me and I do for you. And then a competitor that I am, I'll step in a cage match whether I wanted to be there or not and give it my best. All right, I thank you very much. Lex Luger, the total package. Hang on to that wrap. That's from Jimmy Hart. You can't ask for a nicer gift. Right now on Censor, let's get you back to center ring. Mean Gene is with Lex Luger and Jimmy Hart. Clearly, this pay-per-view is about to get better. This is apparently <laughs> the last night Jimmy Hart will ever manage Lex Luger, so he gives him a sweet custom jacket, tells Lex he loves him, and runs away in tears. I quite like that. I like Jimmy Hart. He's pretty cool. I hate him. I, th- I, I quite like him. Oh, I think he's just... So rubbish. I have very fond nostalgic memories of Jimmy Hart yeah. from like the late 80s. Lex sells the emotion of the moment, and at least he isn't looking at the auto cue, but he does fall over his words, unsurprisingly. It's another Lex Luger classic. Match number five is the Giant versus Loch Ness. Loch Ness is, of course, the man known to most people as World of Sports star Penis. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> it's Giant Haystacks. 
He worked all of the famous names of the ITV wrestling era, most notably Kendo Nagasaki and Big Daddy, right up until Daddy's retirement in 1993. Haystacks had previously ventured to Canada to work for Stu Hart Stampede Wrestling as the Loch Ness Monster. Later recommended to WCW by Lord Stephen Regal, Haystacks as Loch Ness made his WCW debut on the episode of Main Event prior to Super Brawl 6 on February 11th, 1996, where he sort of had a match with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. During the double-strap lumberjack match on the March 11th Nitro, Loch Ness accidentally hit the giant as they attempted to attack Hulk Hogan. Despite both being in the Dungeon of Doom, this now apparently warrants a pay-per-view match. The March 18th Nitro opened with the giant attacking Loch Ness as the monster made his way to the ring for a match with Lex Luger. This contained some brilliant Lex Luger is clearly a fucking idiot comedy as Luger strolled to the ring, posing and flexing as the two big men fought in the aisle way. Luger then celebrated his big victory via countout when Loch Ness never made it to the ring. Out first to Rey Mysterio's theme tune is Loch Ness. Was it Rey Mysterio? Cor- correct, yes. <laughs> Next is the Giant and Jimmy Hart, and I have no idea, again, who is the crowd supposed to be rooting for here? For the end of the match. Heenan tells us not to get a pen and paper to write down great moves because we aren't going to see any. I know, and what a great way to sell a match. You can sell a match in a different way in terms of you're getting... Something, something different. different yeah. In terms of it's going to be like a stiff match and it's going to be a brawl or it's going to be you know just a different style of match. But you can't just say you're not going to get good action. That is not a way to sell it. They lock up to start, and Giant gets some chops and a choke with his boot. Lock Ness with clubs, Giant fights back and leaves Ness in the corner. He gets his thistle whistle and summons the rest of his family. (laughs) And Lock Ness moves, leaving the Giant to take a fucking silly bump over the top rope to the outside. That was quite an athletic fail for a big guy. It also wasn't planned. Was it not? No, that was an accident. Loch Ness hits his elbow drop but misses a second. Giant boots Loch Ness over and hits a dainty leg drop for the three at 2.34. This match was fucking pointless. Yeah. Yeah. But it wasn't long enough to get boring. It was still better than some of the others we've had tonight. What is with the pacing on WCW shows? There's like 20-minute matches and then there's three-minute matches and then there's more 17-minute matches. Although I am glad this wasn't a seventeen-minute oh, match. Yeah, I fuck. mean, Jesus. I mean, it'd be it'd be quite interesting to do, you know, a grouped frequency table of <laughs> WCW pay for your match lengths. Get on it throughout the mid nineties. This will be the last we'll ever see of Loch Ness, as this would turn out to be his final ever WCW appearance. Returning to England due to his wife becoming ill, the Loch Ness monster himself would die of cancer at the age of fifty-two on the 29th of November, nineteen ninety-eight. Well, fans, a little bit earlier on WCW main event, you saw two of the world's finest athletes get together and discuss, if you will, a mutual admiration society, how one has use and need for the other. Well, that is just about ready to happen. I'm talking about the Chicago Street Fight. Wrestling and politics do indeed make for strange bedfellows. If this were an all-star game, you would see a, a team like this. Let me bring in one half of the world tag team champions, the man known as Sting, and maybe for this event only, his partner from Harlem Heat, Booker T. Stinger, what about it? You do need this man. Let me, let me tell you something. It kind of goes like this. Me and Sting, we done already talked about what's at stake here, a friendship thing and all of that put to the side. But me, straight OG brother from the hood, I got something to prove. That's to the road warrior. That's first at hand, the road warriors. I heard them out here talking a little earlier about what they're going to do. They ain't scared. But let me tell you, when it's all over with, after they come down 110th Street, it's going to be a Harlem Street fight, sucker. 
Straight OG is gonna be on like neck bone if you know what I'm talking about, Sting. Straight OG brother, is that what you're saying? Right. Straight OG from Harlem, right? Mm-hmm. You came from the streets, didn't you? Don't forget that. Come on. Yeah. I need you like you were yeah. earlier. I need you kicked hey, off, man. I want you bad to the don't, bone. Don't make me knock you out right now, yeah, fucker. Yeah, that's what I want you to say. Only I want you to knock out one of the warriors. You know why? Because it's obvious my brothers in paint had thrown a friendship out the door. So guess what, road warriors? Those detached retinas and those kneecaps that are detached, forget it. Because Booker T and the Stinger are coming at you like you'll never believe. We heard it earlier from the Road Warriors. They said that they were going to come after everybody, and that includes you guys. Believe me, this may be well the match of your life, Booker. Look at that Sting, five-time world champ. You're looking at Harlem Heat, four-time world tag team champ. The Scorpion Deathlock, Harlem Hangover. It's going to be nothing but a thing, like a chicken wing on a string. When we finish these two suckers, because you know what's happening. Oh, like neck bone. Give it to me. Come on, give it to me. Like I say, you know what's happening when it's all over. It's going to be me and you and Lex Luger. You talk about a couple of guys with their game faces on Booker T and Sting. Let's go to the ring. Lee Marshall is with Booker T and Sting. Booker T is saying something about the Road Warriors, but we didn't really hear it as Mrs. Scrivens came home and wanted to know why Sting was, and I quote, a mahogany colour. Yes. (laughs) Sting shouts a bit about wanting Booker T to be pissed off and Booker T finishes off with something about chicken wings. I said that Booker T is kind of contesting here with Dusty Rhodes for who can say the most nonsensical drivel because I couldn't understand of most of what he was saying either. Our semi-main event is Sting and Booker T versus the Road Warriors in a Chicago street fight. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, this sounds like it should be a good match. Maybe this is where it will turn around for us. I like the Road Warriors. I, I like Sting. Quite like Sting. Yeah. I, I quite like Booker T. I, I, I particularly like, you know... Um, that little, what do you call it? That little electronic device that we had that did sound bites. Booker T in your pocket. Yeah. It was Don't give co- me no back tucks. That's Mr. T. <laughs> Different to Booker T. <laughs> was it? Didn't he say that? <laughs> no, that was the Mr. T in your pocket. <laughs> the, 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 the WWF one or the WWF. There was like a it, Batista yeah, and it was King Bo- Booker. Yeah. So you had yeah. you had three comments from what was allegedly Batista that just sounded awful like I am I'm the, the animal. animal Batista bomb. But then you had like um, Booker T doing all these King Booker. Oh, that's it. That's the one that kept <laughs> yeah. doing to you. Yeah, King Booker. You you're a racist because you confused two black people. They've both got T in there. Yeah, name. yeah. <laughs> racist. Well, to be honest, I reckon I've had two of those things, and probably one is the one with Booker T. And one is the one with Mr. T. And technically, Booker T is also Mr. T. Do you think they have the same mother? Let me tell you about my mother. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was priceless. One of the main storylines in early 1996 WCW was the relationship between Lex Luger and Sting. On the January the 8th episode of Nitro, Sting questioned Luger's actions during the triangle match at Starcade, and Luger wanted to prove he was on Sting's side, so he asked Sting to be his tag team partner at Clash of the Champions. On the January the 15th Nitro, Luger came to the ring during a Sting and Ric Flair match. Luger attempted to take Jimmy Hart off the apron, but collided with Sting and Flair won the bout via figure four. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage appeared and ran off Flair and Luger before questioning if Sting now realised Luger wasn't on his side. Sting remained oblivious. Whose side is Luger on, exactly, in any of this stuff? Because he just... It's actually quite well done. He's just sort of a tweener. Like, he's not really a face. He's not really a heel. Sometimes he's with Jimmy Hart, but Sting's his pal, and... Yeah. Okay. 
A week later, on January the 22nd, Sting and Lex Luger won the World Tag Team titles from Harlem Heat when Jimmy Hart passed Lex Luger a roll of silver dollars, who used them to nail Booker behind the referee's back. As ever, Sting remained unaware of his partner's actions. But the best part about this is that after clocking Booker with the silver dollars, Luger drops them all over the ring, <laughs> and they're just laying there while Nick Patrick counts the pin not once does he question where all these coins of the ring have come from <laughs> maybe that's why luger is always adjusting his pants it's yeah. full of change it, w- it would make sense he's got pockets at clash of the champions 32 on january the 23rd during an interview with sting and lex luger as announced on the previous evening's nitro the road warriors made their return to wcw and asked the new tag team champions for a title shot sting accepted but luger was less keen the Road Warriors then made their in-ring return on the January 29th Nitro, defeating the faces of Fear, Meng and the Barbarian. In the main event of the February the 5th Nitro, Sting and Lex Luger faced the Road Warriors. Late in the bout, Jimmy Hart appeared and passed Luger some sort of metal, which Luger used to clock Animal and win the bout. Mean Gene then interviewed the Road Warriors, who demanded a bout with the winners of the Sting, Luger and Harlem Heat match at the upcoming pay-per-view. At Super Brawl on February the 11th, Sting and Lex Luger defended their tag team titles against Harlem Heat and the Road Warriors. Not in a triple threat match, but in two separate matches held throughout the show. Firstly, Sting and Luger defeated Booker T and Stevie Ray when Animal hit Stevie Ray with a metal chest plate and Luger fell on top for the pin. The subsequent match went to a double countout when all four men brawled on the outside of the ring. On the February 26th Nitro, Gene Oakland was set to interview Sting and Lex Luger when the Road Warriors interrupted. Animal claimed that they were the masters of every type of dangerous match, while Luger claimed that he and Sting would face the Road Warriors in any type of match they wanted. Animal challenged the champions to a Chicago street fight, which Luger gleefully accepted. After the challengers left, Luger asked Sting what a Chicago street fight was. Yeah, Genius. That. Yeah, that yeah. is hilarious. Following this, Luger defeated the Renegade via torture rack when Jimmy Hart interfered. Sting came down to ringside and questioned Luger as to why the Mouth of the South was getting involved in Luger's matches. Sting told Luger that he had better shape up because he needed a man, and his heart was set on Luger. (laughs) He told Luger he better understand, because to his heart he must be true. I may be paraphrasing here. (laughs) On the March 11th Nitro, during a match between the Road Warriors and the returning Steiner brothers, the commentary team mentioned that Luger would now not be part of the Chicago street fight at Uncensored, as Jimmy Hart had gotten him out of it on some sort of contractual technicality. They speculated as to whether Sting would go into the match or alone, or if he could find a partner. On the March 18th Nitro, Eric Bischoff revealed that Booker T would be Sting's partner against the Road Warriors. This match is 30 minutes long. Yeah, it never ends. And it's fucking shit. Yeah, it's terrible. It's it's a tornado-style match, and so it makes it quite difficult to see what's happening where, particularly when they do this double feature, showing two screens of the same thing from a different angle. I've dubbed but, it Confuso-Vision. Yes, you, but problem, 25% of the screen. Your problem is you're in a 4-3 aspect ratio, and you want to maintain both of your images at 4-3. Yeah. So you shrink them down, and you end up with quarter screens. Yeah. Terrible. We're, we're watching it on a relatively large screen, actually. Like your TV is, what, 32 inches? It is 32 inches. Now, it would let and your telly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dion Dublin. Uh, we have to rewind back to 1996, when no one had a flat screen telly, and most people's tellies would have been, at biggest, about 22 inches. The, the, you're probably going to be looking at something that looked like two Game Boy screens. <laughs> it's 
Yeah, I, I don't understand the, the well. I understand the logic of doing it, but it really doesn't make any sense. But the point is that they weren't even showing separate action for a lot of the time. Yeah, they would it, end up showing the same thing from a different angle. Yeah, I don't know. There's the odd good bit in this match, but it's all over the place, and I can't keep track of what's happening where and who's doing what. It's it's very messy. Lots of the moves look like they've not been thought out. They've not been worked out. It looks a little bit loosely slapped together. And it goes on forever. 29 minutes and 33 seconds of just boredom. It's but, I mean, utter bore. One, one of the things that my boredom did allow me to pick out is, you know the chairs? Because they actually did manage to get hold of some chairs for this match. Yeah. We noted that it was kind of the John Deere green, as in the tractors. Yeah, they weren't the normal black, were they? No, so. I'm just going to mention one more thing about this match. Brooms. Yeah. Yes. Who is it that... Is it one of the road Sting warriors? Sting goes and gets yeah. rooms. He vanishes for ages, and so you, you think, oh, he's going to come back with some sort of hellacious hardcore weapon. He comes back with two almost like hay-bristled brooms mm. that break almost immediately because they're not <sighs> designed to be used as any kind of weapon. Just yeah. But they, they actually also had clearly been used as brooms because during some of the hits, dust was coming off them. There was a few pile drivers in this match. And what, is it, what, what is it with Hawk? He no-sold two pile drivers. He no-sells every pile driver everyone ever gives him. Why is that? Because he's a cunt. It, 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 yes, I mean, I wrote down the sequence. <laughs> pile driver, no-sell, punch, powerbomb. That, that was that little sequence. Animal yeah. gets sellotaped backstage. Well, you said sellotape. He actually does get... Because they talked about using the athletic tape... But they did actually handcuff him as well. You could see them later I think on. He gets, he's taped and then handcuffed. Yeah, right. I, I did quite find it amusing the way that they go backstage and Luger's just posing in front of a mirror. Yeah, and someone bumps into only, him yeah. and he goes ape shit. Well, they disturbed his posing. Yeah, he gets really, really angry. So he ends up being involved in the match despite having gotten out of it. Yeah, yeah. it was very dull. And the weird thing is, it was dull, despite there being a lot of action going on. Go I wouldn't figure. even say that there was. It was just sort of nondescript. Well, that's it. It was, it was action, yeah. but it was not particularly noteworthy. Can I just say, I hate this show. Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll second that. But again, you look at that match on paper before you actually watch the match, and you think, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested. I'm up for that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't be. It's fucking terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be confused by looking at the card for this match and thinking, that'll be all right. Yeah, it isn't. W- yeah. Whatever you think, it is terrible. I mean, we said this with King of the Ring 95. We said, don't watch it. And what proceeded to happen is lots of people went and watched it. They went against our specific advice. Don't do it to yourselves. Yeah, really. Do this, not do it. This will be a waste of your life. Let's move to the main event. <laughs> do we have to? <laughs> the main event is indeed the Mega Powers, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage versus the Alliance to End Hulkamania. Rick Flair, Arn Anderson, Meng, The Barbarian, Kevin Sullivan, Lex Luger, Z Gangster, and the formerly final, now ultimate solution. Anything you want to tell us about Zeus and the ultimate solution, Adam? Well, I did a little bit of looking on these, actually. All right, then. The ultimate solution. Actual name, Robert Swenson. Apparently, he was in WCW in 1987 and 88. Okay for manager Gary Hart. Yeah, yeah. At some point, I think he wore like a kind of military guys and had a big beard, actually, then. And he feuded with a a masked bruiser Brody who was wrestling under some other name. Okay. I, I didn't know whether you'd know. No, in that, not in top that of sort of period, yeah. And at this point, he was claiming to have the world's largest biceps. And he is fucking massive. Just ridiculous. I reckon his biceps are about the same width as my waist. I mean, this mm. this guy is massive. 
he actually had a bit of a film career as well. And it, apparently he's he's in No Holds Barred. Is he? Allegedly so. Okay. I think he's... You know, in, in Zeus's sort of industrial smelting haven, yeah. I think he's one of them guys in there. But he was also in some film called Bulletproof, which is like an Adam Sandler film. Okay. He played a bodyguard for James Caan's character in that. And most famously, he portrayed Bane in Batman and Robin in 1997. Not in... The Dark Knight Rises. No, he didn't, he didn't play that Bane. He actually played a Bane that looked more like what I would consider the actual Bane. Okay. Um, but was, in fact, shit. Paul is a, confused and has no idea who Bane is. In, in a shit film. I have very strong feelings about this. Unfortunately, he, he, he passed in 1997 on August the 18th. Really? Yeah. Was it a massive heart failure? Massive heart failure. What a surprise. Aged just 40. Real shame. But... Apparently, because uh, that well, that was the year that Batman and uh, and Robin came out, right? So he, he must have done his filming in like ninety seven, yeah, and then you know it was released in ninety seven, and he and he died in the summer of that year at his funeral. Hulk Hogan cut a promo. Hulk Hogan, <laughs> oh fuck it hell. Davy Boy Smith, right, and James Caan all did like eulogies for him. Well, let me Ooh. tell you something, now, brother. Now that that's quite uh, like I say, take it with a pinch of salt. They might not have. This is Wikipedia after all, but. It kind of makes sense. When I die, will you make sure Hulk Hogan cuts a promo at my funeral? I bet it'd be all about Hulk Hogan, though. Yeah. Zeus. Yeah, we know Zeus. Yeah, we, we, we know Zeus. Uh, Tommy Tiny Lister. Tiny yeah. being hilarious, because he's fucking massive. Oh, it's ironic. I get it. Yeah. Was obviously oh, Zeus, the human wrecking machine in... in 19- Cinematic classic. In, in 1989, <laughs> in the film No Holds Barred, and all the, all the pay-per-views surrounding that... But actually, has had a relatively interesting acting career, yeah. And was in um, probably one of the most famous. He was in uh, Friday, you know that with oh, uh, yeah, with yeah. Ice Cube, Cube and yeah. Chris Tucker, and the sequel, which was I think called Next Saturday. Next Friday or something like that. Um, a week on Thursday, and he had various <laughs> cameos in a few things. Notably, here I'd say Barb Wire. So you know, there's, a, oh, okay. there's a Pamela Anderson connection there with old Zeus. More reasons for us to review it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he's, he's in a couple of episodes of The Fresh Prince. What? Really? Yeah, yeah I think he's... Is back, he Will Smith's dad? He's background character. And apparently he's in the Human Centipede final sequence. What? No, this, this, I didn't even know there was three of these fucking films. Apparently there's a final sequence. It's not been released yet, but he is in that. It's Please like, tell me Hogan and Beefcake Barber uh, are the other parts of The Centipede. From what I can work out... It's going to be set in a prison and involves like 500 inmates being sewn ass <laughs> to mouth. One of which will be Zeus. I can only <laughs> hope he's at the head of the centipede so he can cut some amazing promos. Also, and I thought this was a joke, but I looked at like a video online. He's in the fifth element okay. as the president of Earth. Uh, how strange. And in 2012, he was in a lot of trouble because he was convicted of quite serious mortgage fraud. And he's cross-eyed. Apparently he's blind in that eye. Got a deformed retina in one of them. Tony tells us the rules for the main event. Hogan and Savage start in the top cage, and if they win a cage, they make it to the next one, and the men that lose are eliminated. Heenan then tells us there are no rules. What? Surely we've just had some rules, right? I didn't get this. Dusty tells us that Hogan will lead us into the 90s. It's 19-fucking-96. <laughs> oh, joy, it's Michael Buffer. Fuck this guy. He reads his cue cards and he tells us that eight fearsome physical specimens will enter the Tower of Doom to meet the Megaforce. Does nobody fucking brief this guy? Megaforce? 
He earns two hundred thousand dollars per appearance, and he can't get his ten lines right. Yeah, he's crap. He hits his line, and the cage is set on fire with pyro. And this is the best part of the show. Really no. great pyro, actually. Really top draw. See, they could have got me in to do my sexy voice for it. Let's get ready to rumble, Scriven sexy style. Yeah. Gone him. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> that had a bit of a. That was a bit effeminate, and it had a bit of a Dusty road speech impediment going through it. <laughs> well, you know, I was trying to tie it all together. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> if it's got two, that's the, that's the Hardly Boys from that episode of South Park. <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm getting a clue. Get a clue. Yeah, get a raging get, clue. Get a raging clue. The heels come out. Ric Flair with Woman and Elizabeth. Arn Anderson with Black Pajamas. Kevin Sullivan. Lex Luger with Jimmy Hart. Meng, the Barbarian. Z Gangster and the Ultimate Solution. Except the last two don't appear when introduced. The heels hopefully go to their allotted cages. Tony asks where Brian Pillman is. My answer? Far, far, far away from this shit. (laughs) Out comes Hogan and Savage to Hogan's theme. Buffer calls them Mega Force again. Their gear says Mega Powers. Everyone mm. has been referring to them as the Mega Powers. How that isn't trademarked by the WWF, I don't know. But they're certainly not <laughs> Mega Fucking see, Force. See, see, Mega Force, it just reminds me a bit of like Ground Force with Alan Titchmarsh, <laughs> where there would be some kind of couple who would go away for a weekend and their Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage just help sort your garden out. And they'd the come over and they'd have to act surprised, even though they quite liked how the garden was before. <laughs> <laughs> It makes me think a bit of Manta Force. Manta Force? Yeah. That would have been so good. No, Manta Force. It was like a, it was a, a toy in the, the okay. early 90s. Hogan and Savage ascend to the top cage, which houses your world champion Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, and a referee. Shivani once again references Pillman and asks where Zeus and the Jew Killer are. Hogan and Flair daintily brawl, as do Savage and Anderson. As they're standing on a cage on top of a cage on top of a cage, they can't really get decent footing or do anything really of any note. Tony tells us this match is why WCW is number one around the world on pay-per-view, despite the fact this pay-per-view was only available in one country. Was it really? Yes. The movements are almost like a couple of quite old wrestlers with very bad knees walking on sponge Mm. (laughs) and what you'd expect them to do in that situation. On that sponge. Yes. Why is the two people in the top cage and four in the second one? Why is your first level, as it were, your world champion? Anderson and Flair apply a pair of figure fours to no reaction whatsoever, as I imagine the crowd can't see a sodding thing. Yeah, this, this cage is basically where the entrance should be. And we're not in the days of big broadcast titantrons and stuff around. No, so, there's nothing, so, yeah. So the audience can't see a video feed of it, and if you can't see that, if you're standing a distance away from it because of the mm. the, the density of the of the, the grill, as it were, yeah. you're not going to see anything. Flair passes something down through his cage to the cage below. Why don't you just use it himself? Because there are there, many questions in there this There are match. gaping holes in this match, yeah. It appears to be powder. Hogan and Savage then magically have powder themselves and escape down to the next cage where four opponents await. Why in, like, Hogan matches of, that we've seen of late, has everyone always got these handfuls of powder? What is the powder? Why have they got it? It's freedom powder. Freedom powder, eh? Okay. Hogan uses a chain to hit Sullivan and Luger, and the fucking double screen crap from the last match <laughs> reappears. So now we can see even less of what's going on. Hogan locks Meng and the Barbarian out of the second cage via handily constructed door. Uh, this yeah, is but... weird. Why is, why is there 
separate cages on that second level. But not on the other levels. It Like the, I don't know, who thought of this? And I don't even think that was on the schematic behind <laughs> Tony the Tiger. Also, he, he locks the cage, but he uses that chain to lock it. Also, he, But it like, takes him ages yeah. and he doesn't do it. And, yeah. and clearly Meng and the Barbarian just have to stand there and wait for him to do it. And yeah. pretend to then, and then after, not to be able to open the door that they can. Yeah, after he's done it, they're both standing there punching on a door that is to swing it open. And, yeah, and also, the way to open a door is not by punching it. Arn Anderson lowers himself down. To, I thought Anderson and Flair were now eliminated. They are eliminated. We were clearly told the rules by Michael Buffer. Hogan and Sullivan brawl on the scaffolding. Don't fall, Kevin. You're not the giant. <laughs> it's the one thing we didn't want to happen. Hogan and Kev wander down some stairs and are now out on the cage on the arena floor. Luger runs to join in on this fight and Savage appears. I thought the object of this match was to escape the cage. Yeah, if you get out of the cage, haven't you won? Well, no one appears to have won. It's like four people are out and the bell hasn't rang. <laughs> like, it's a bit odd because if that is the point... What what's supposed to happen with the, the the kind of the heel faction? What is their objective? Because to end Hawkamania. Yeah, but how how are they supposed? I, I don't know. Surely they should want to get out as well. It's a bit odd to have a match where only the faces are supposed to get out and the heels have just got to be there. Them. Yeah, it was odd because there was no real incentive for them to do anything. anything. If the if the objective of the match was to escape the cage. Why didn't they just walk out of the cage while Hogan and Savage, Savage were in the top. top one? Doesn't make sense. Think things through, boys. They wander down to the ring for no reason, except maybe to wake up the crowd, which it doesn't. Hogan hits the big boot on Sullivan, while Savage and Luger brawl near the cage. Hogan helps Savage out with Luger, so Savage has a pop at Sullivan. I think I'd actually quite like to watch a Kevin Sullivan-Randy Savage match. It might be quite good, yeah. yeah. Not in this context, though. No. Tony describes this match as spectacular and tells us Uncensored has lived up to his name. No, no. I wish you'd censored this. <laughs> if they'd have censored everything bad in this, it would have been about three minutes long. Hogan and Luger wander to the ring. Sullivan and Savage follow. Hogan blows Lex Luger over with a bit of a kiss. Literally blows him over. Like, I get that he's big booted him before, but then there's this really cheesy where he sort of just goes, and he yeah, falls yeah. over. It's a bit so, cartoon-like. So he holds his palm horizontally in front of his mouth and, and exhales. Blows him a kiss. Yes. Sullivan hits Hogan in the balls. Yes, he does. Tony tells us the people left in the cage have been eliminated. How? <laughs> <laughs> Who? Where? When? Hogan whacks Luger across the back with a chair and Luger uses it against Savage. Out come the Solution and Z-Gangster. They pick up Savage and Hogan and bring them back down to the ring that's inside the cage. They literally just walk them there. Yeah. So, so if basically escort them. Well, my understanding, like they've already won this match, but now they're going back in. The crowd do chant Hogan at this point, for what it's worth. Zeus and the Solution can literally do nothing. They do not have clue one about wrestling. Like the Booty Man could teach them about wrestling, and he yeah. can't do fuck all. Are you a little bit agitated about all this? I like to think we, for the most part, try and remain relatively positive about the things we watch. Mostly, like, yeah. Where we, we try can. and see the good things in what we can and pick out aspects of matches or characters or angles that we find enjoyable. But this is sheer mm. stupidity. Yeah. Well, I think we just try and be fair. I think we, we try and, you know, if it's good, it's good. If it's not, it's not. Yeah. And 
this is not one of these things where you can find any redeeming features. Well, it's, it's nonsensical. Nothing's making any sort of sense. There's no actual wrestling happening, and you can't tell what's going on anyway. Hogan and Zeus face off, as Dusty tells us he's seen this face off before. Yep, in another fucking company. Prom- promote that. Well done. Zeus chokes Hogan to the mat, and Hogan eye rakes Zeus. What a hero. In which eye? <laughs> the one that doesn't work. <laughs> Macho gets something from his trunks as the previously eliminated Arn Anderson, who's found time to take off his pyjamas, yeah. and Ric Flair reappear. I thought they were eliminated. Tony told me they were eliminated. Mm. No, no, they weren't. Jimmy Hart at ringside laughs for no apparent reason. Like, he's just lost his mind. It's probably while watching this match. Hogan and Savage find a big pile of cocaine as the booty man appears and gives the Mega Powers frying pans. They use powder and frying pans on everyone. Hellacious. Mm. There's something about that line. They use powder and frying pans. Also, they're clearly shit frying pans as they break, like, instantly. Well, if you had a good heavy metal cast iron frying pan, it, it would really, yeah. But I don't think WCW have understood the concept of weapons in wrestling because they've got no. brooms and fucking frying pans. Because the thing is, I can understand why there'd be a broom knocking around. Where's the fry? Well, catering, catering. <laughs> but presumably there'd be other better weapons just knocking around in the frying pan. Well, there's loads of chairs everywhere. They're, they're, they're the quintessential wrestling weapon. Luger runs in to join the fun and produces a loaded not sure what with, glove. And they balls up the spot where Flair holds Macho, Lex goes to hit Macho, but Macho moves, but they mistime it really badly and Mm. Macho moves. Luger stops for like about a second and then just hits Flair anyway. It's the one thing we didn't want to happen. It came across looking like Luger just wanted to whack Flair. Rather Rather than being an accident, he actually just wanted to punch him. Basically, Luger, yeah, decks Flair on purpose, clearly. So Hogan decks him, and the Mega Powers leave the cage, which apparently means they've won the match despite the fact they've already left the cage. But no. But then Macho pops back into the ring to pin the world champion to win the match at 25-16. But he, he doesn't, it's not like he pops back in. He dives back mm. in. It's like, oh, shit, we forgot we've got to win the match. Th- there is seven other people in there. That are not your world champion. Yeah, pin Arn Anderson. Pin the Barbarian. Pin yeah. fucking Zeus. Why pin Ric Flair other than Hogan just wants to upset him? Yeah. And, and I was a bit perplexed that Savage actually managed to get the pin. Yeah, his reward for participating. Well, perhaps it's due to the fact that he can still dive into the ring whilst Hogan can't. The announcers basically make out that Luger has turned, except he kind of hasn't really. And Heenan calls Hulkamania an infectious disease. I am in full agreement with that statement. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, I felt quite sorry for the announced team at this stage because they've had to sit through that as well. And they've got to try and plug it as something Yeah, they've got to try and plug it. And then they also have to... I think one of the things that when you do something bad like that, you need to hold your hands up and say it was a stinker. But they couldn't do that in that situation. You need Jim Ross to use his bowling shoe ugly phrase. Mm. Yeah. Ominous music ends the show. For some reason, all the credits have people's first names only, presumably so we can't track them down. It's produced by Jim, Jeff and Bob. Presumably because nobody wants to be blamed for this hot mess. And, And Breeze was the librarian. They actually credited a librarian. Eric has his last name on it. We fully know him and what he's responsible for. (laughs) What incentive could there ever be now to see a Hogan one-on-one match after this? Theoretically, he can beat four people at one time, so 
why would you ever pay to see him versus one other person? Because he should just be able to beat them. Well, he can beat your booker, your champion, all their minions, and, and two the, the person who killed the entire Jewish race. Supposedly. Yeah, and two of the biggest people that you will ever see, just with with seemingly not much of a problem, with the help from the booty man, some powder and a frying pan. You, you're, you're right. A one-on-one match is no incentive. No match. Yeah, well, yeah. So, well, you know what they need to do? They need to do something where they stack the odds against him. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly this wasn't <laughs> enough against him. What were the actual rules of this match? Nobody knows. And I think that is a travesty. <laughs> what can you say? Shit. A big steaming pile of horse shit. Like, Halloween Havoc was campy fun. Yeah. It made that, no that, sense. That was nonsensical, but entertaining... I've got a confession. I don't think I really want to watch wrestling anymore. Yeah. Can, can we start a show about, like, stamp collecting or trains? Or... You, know, you know what I liked? I really liked reviewing Baywatch. Yeah. Let's <laughs> fucking do that instead. At least you know what you're getting in that. If we hadn't watched that quite entertaining episode of NXT before we started recording... Yeah, that was good. Like, this... Like, the next time you think you're bored of John Cena overcoming the odds, watch this fucking show. Yeah. It's a horror show. This show was so bad, it took the worst of King of the Ring 95, i.e. terrible booking, and combined it with the worst of In Your House 4, dull matches, and rolled it into one big ball of shit. <laughs> but, one, but, but one awkward mess that on paper looked like it might have been good. Yeah, there's something really screwy about this. Mm. I think you've hit the nail right on the head. You look um, at the card for it and you think... All right, that match is going to be good. That match is going to be good. That match is going to be good. The main event looks fucking silly, but you know what? Oh, but, it's yeah. Halloween Havoc, and that was fun. But it so should, maybe it will be fun. But it still could have been entertaining. Yeah, but it was just dire. Yeah, the ones that looked good on paper were not interesting in execution. To, to be fair, they had this triple cage match. They didn't have anybody crawling up from under the ring and, and pulling people down into the, it. The thing is, you know, you say, "All right, there's there's a triple decker cage of doom with like ten people in it." I think it's got to be worth a look. But no, it I turns out, no, it's not. It's awful. I didn't think that it could be that bad. I thought that alone would sell me, but it, it hasn't. Yeah. The best thing on this show was Jimmy Hart telling Lex Luger he loved him. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Also, there was no Hogan Savage promo on the show, which I thought was a bit weird. A Savage promo could have really helped this yeah, show. Yeah, it Really have, helped this show. Maybe they just wanted to get the main event out of the way. And the, the timing issue that we've discussed a lot here was also prevalent on Halloween Havoc in that you had, like, random really short matches and random really long matches, but yeah. it felt more arduous on this one. I'd say another slightly odd thing is there's no real celebration. They win, and they walk to the back. That's it. Game over. But Maybe they- even Hogan knew that... This was and, terrible. But it's yeah. almost like they hide. Because of where the the ring and the cage is, they literally go out and they walk around the back. There is no kind of holding my arms up, addressing you know, the crowd, celebrating. Yeah. You'd expect in, in a match like that, they'd walk out to the ring, parade around the middle, hoping to do his little things. But he doesn't. But he doesn't even bother. Yeah. So, match of the night. It's Colonel Robert Parker versus Medusa. It's my most entertaining match of the night. And that wasn't a very good match. There is no other option. My match of the night just says no. That, I, think I think that's you did fair a similar enough. thing at but, King of the Rings. Yeah. No, I think I went with Bob Holly and the Road Dog there. Mm. MVP. Can they give it to the pyro on the cage? Yeah, go for it. Why not? Okay. Who fucking cares? Mm. Breeze. <laughs> the librarian. The librarian. <laughs> My MVP says no. <laughs> <laughs> but if I have to, Tony the Tiger, because I'll crawl like Frosties when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the one category where there might actually be some legitimate competition. Uh, Spoiled for choice and, 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 in this one. And I, I am actually looking forward to which one will have yeah, won. It's, it's, Adam, mullet of the night. 
well, there was a huge amount on offer here. There was there's there's nothing in in ways of entertaining matches or quality of any other nature. But the, but the haircuts on offer were something quite special because you've got Guerrero, Finley, Booty oh, Man, Luger, the bolding mullet, Luger. I I think Loch Ness had a good mullet on the go actually, mm, the fat yeah. mullet. But you know what? He can't decide. I've not seen him look this troubled since he had a tricky pink or a blue to take. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to pick Finley, but I'm quite annoyed because I really wanted to pick Animal from the Road Warriors as just having a really unique odd mullet. I think this is the only time we'll see Finley in our timeline, so yeah, that, it's that, worth that, picking him that, for that, that reason. That's my, my, my thinking, and I think... Whenever else you see Finley, he hasn't. No, he's not got hair. a mullet, has he? So it's it's got to be fit Finley for his fit mullet. And on that bombshell, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash New Generation Project Podcast. We are also on Twitter at the Uncensored New Gen Podcast. <laughs> you can, as ever, rate, review, and subscribe for all of our episodes as soon as they are available in iTunes. If iTunes isn't your thing, you can check out new episodes on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash newgenpodcast, on Stitcher Radio, or on piledriverwrestling.net. Or, if you've just found us and want to catch up, our back catalogue is going up one by one by one on botchamania.com, and adding to our list of affiliates, as of this week, the back catalogue is going up on Inside the Ropes, and you'll be able to check out some of their audio over on our SoundCloud page. We've started with them with WrestleMania 10, because the first five episodes audio quality now makes me cry. (laughs) Calling Spots issue 12 is available now for just one ninety nine at callingspots.com. Episode 31, do we want to carry on? No. Tell you what, episode 31 will be the final stop on the road to WrestleMania 12. There'll be no actual wrestling on this, if that's helpful. That might be helpful. There's no actual wrestling on this show either. (laughs) We need to find out whose buns are the best in the WWF, so the only way to do that is to watch the 1996 Slammy Awards. Excellent. that sounds like something. Does that much sound like nicer. something you might yeah, like? Yeah. And we can probably find some maths in there. I don't think you've done any maths on this show. Not really, no. I've been too did, upset. You did have that thought about doing. What the fucking hell did you say? Oh, the golden ratio. I'll leave that for another time. <laughs> you, you've still got your stone cold formula that you need to whip yeah, out. Yeah, no, some no, point no. I've got, that's all prepared. In summary, folks, do not watch Uncensored 1996. Yeah, seriously, do not watch it. Like, like, like I've said, it's it's quite useful now that the network's out over in the UK, so for all you folks, you can kind of watch the random in-your-house sixes and Survivor Series 95s that if you didn't have on DVD, you couldn't really watch, but do not choose to watch this show. In fact, if you've made it to the end of this review, round of applause, yeah. really. Yeah. Because this has been arduous, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, this was hard work. My name's Stuart Brooks. Good night. <laughs> My name's Adam Weitz. Goodbye. Do, do you do your goodbye in your sexy voice? Goodbye. Hope to uh, see you again sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me that's how you talk to Mrs. Scrivens when you want to uh, get get her in the mood. No, I speak like Alan Partridge to do that. <laughs> Yes, now it's time For me to give up I feel it's time 
Got a picture of you beside me Got your lipstick mark still on your coffee cup Oh yeah, you should wash that I gotta fist up your emotion I gotta head off your dreams Gotta leave it, gotta leave it all behind now Whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. I just want you back for good. Want you back. Want you back. Want you back for good. Whenever I'm wrong, just tell me the song and I'll sing it. I'm quite renowned now. Right and understood. Want you back. Want you back. Want you back for good. Unaware, but underlined. Figured out the story. No, no. It wasn't good. No, no. But in the corner of my mind, I celebrated glory. But that was not what meant to be. Oh, that was weird phrasing. The separation. You excelled at being free. Can't you find a little, little room inside for me? Whatever I did, I didn't mean it. I just want you back for good. Want you back, want you back, want you back for good. That's you, Robbie. Whenever I'm wrong, just tell me the song and I'll sing it. You'll be right and understood. Want you back, want you back. This time it's forever. Favorite X Factor switch. 